and uh, I put this in my notes. It's I quote, it drives me nuts when someone asks me if something's still available, I respond within seconds and then get left on scene. Or if I give the price, they don't check DMs for a day or two. That is the worst. Absolute worst. You are not the main character of your story, your own story, or I'm not the main, I'm not a, an NPC in your, your character. What the fuck the metaphor is? I don't care. God damn it, answer your DMs. the next shiny new thing bring me the next shiny new thing bring me the next shiny new thing bring me the next shiny new thing hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of the big bad big cast my name is brett also known as geek over 40 and today i am joined by my favoriteest co-host in the whole world don't tell my other co-host that carrie coming down from canada say hey carrie hey <laughs> this is a weird trend where everyone's starting to say hey hey <laughs> i'm gonna get my butt kicked by the other guys no you'll be fine we got a special guest today and we've got a really awesome episode this this may go down as my favorite episode besides episode two where we go over fomo and burnout but before that carrie and i would like to introduce click bricks today we'll be calling him james james has been a longtime collector uh we actually met through a facebook group almost coming to blows and he's now turned out to be one of my bestest pals in this community and easily probably one of the most trusted sellers and buyers I've ever had to deal with. And for that reason is why he's on this show. So James, if you want to take a moment to introduce yourself, where you come from, what you collect, what you hope to do, and what you even want to do with this uh, episode. Thank, uh, thank you for having me on the, on the show. And uh, I'm glad we were able to tear and repair. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, thanks for having me. It's an honor to do this. I'm really excited for it. I hope we, you know, offer some practical information and, uh, you know, help people get rich quick with buying and selling customs. <laughs> Just kind of quickly on how I got started. Um, it's uh, so actually my older brother introduced me to Brick Mania at, back in like 2018. And I thought it was the coolest thing, right? Military Lego kits. And uh, I saw some and so I, I started joining some, you know, Instagram group chats on military Lego and people would sprinkle in pictures of customs. You know, I think the uh, V1 Captain America custom from Lifebrick uh, got, you know, got displayed in that chat. And I was just like instantly drawn to that. Just the intricacy of the pad printing, the designs, just how different it was from a Lego minifigure. I just became hooked on that. And that's pretty much the story ever since. Um, so I collect Marvel figs mostly from Jaka, Phoenix Customs, PCB uh, from L1 and six or Ling, Top Mountain LCM, and a little bit of Christo too. Some Star Wars. I probably have one of the largest Handy Haro collections in the United States, which is actually impressive because they're hard to get a hold of. Yeah, they're they're cool little you know crafted figs. You know, definitely different. Definitely a different kind of theme but i i just i love them so and i like to buy and sell minifigs i guess it's a it's a hobby and i i kind of like the idea of making somebody happy when you get them a fig that they've been looking for well on my great quest to collect all these spideys there was a handy haro iron spider fig which i basically just said never gonna happen and then out of nowhere you were able to get me one i really appreciate that because actually it is pretty cool yeah no problem by the way I know we're a few days removed from it, but I wanted to wish you a happy Veterans Day. I appreciate it. Thank you. 
I made sure to take the day off. <laughs> nice. So, all right. The crux of this episode, uh, we call, we're calling it buying and selling until I think of something more clever before it goes to air. But uh, I want to make it clear, this is, these are not hardline rules. These are like a pirate code. It's, it's not really rules. It's more of a guideline. Uh, you're free to fire, buy, sell, or trade any matter you like. We're not judging. But if you do want to build a good reputation and be considered a trusted buyer and seller that can garner repeat business, we feel the information we're going to put forth and the tips that we're going to provide can help you get there. And one more time, just to make it clear, if we say something that reflects how you buy and sell and you feel that it's casting a negative light, that's okay. That's on you. You do you. But if you want to do it in a way that people are like, oh, I want to buy and sell from that guy or gal, then we think that we've kind of figured it out. Between the three of us, I think we've got at least, I don't know, 15... 20 years of collecting. And that doesn't even include non-minifigure years. We're going to get into some general tips. We'll go into best practices for buying, selling, trading, uh, shipping. And then also we'll go over the, uh, the ideas and the concepts behind the secondhand markets. So we'll start with some general tips. And I think the number one tip we can all agree on is buyer beware, do your research. Carrie, would you agree? I would agree 100%. Would you like to expand on that? <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, for myself, if normally what happens for me is like someone will share something in a chat and it's like, hey, this person's selling all this stuff. I bought from them before, like they're a good person. And normally they are. So I'm luckily I have people doing that where I don't really, I don't really buy from people I don't know if I haven't. Um, gotten a vouch for them a lot like the corporate world you don't move around because of your resume you move around because of your network and you know and referrals referrals always way higher than any sort of resume i think the hobby world works the same in the same regard in that if you build your network which is something we've talked about in numerous episodes here if you build your network and you get people get to know you and you're not just sitting there with some like 20 digit profile name with no profile picture, count on lockdown, people will be more willing to trust you because they have someone else they can talk to. Think about when you're trying a new restaurant or a travel destination, or you're going to buy an appliance or something. The first thing you do is you go to your friends and family saying, do you have experience with this? Has anyone ever played? Has anyone played this game before? Has anyone, <laughs> you look at reviews, right? You go to Yelp, you go to Amazon. So it's no different when it comes to buying and selling from other collectors. You know, just, you have to make sure that people want to give you a five-star review. You know, there, there's been a situation where um, in the Geek Exchange, an excellent secondhand forum on Instagram. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I, <laughs> you're welcome. somebody put something up for sale uh, and I had it, right? And I was ready to reach out and say, hey, I've got this. I've probably got it for a decent price. Let's let's make it happen. Um, and then when I've, I've clicked on, you know, the, the, the messenger I see this thread, you know, maybe from a previous attempt at a transaction and it's like a reminder of how poorly that went or, um, they ghosted me or something, or, uh, you know, just, it, it just went South in one way or another that was, w- would be difficult to move on from. And then, and then that person misses out on an opportunity, right? When people, I think, in, engage with one another that, that way and kind of fail to develop trust, it, you miss opportunities because it's a small community. 
it's a tight knit community. And as you said, word of mouth is everything. Networking is everything. And unfortunately, sometimes it takes just kind of, you know, one, one sort of bad or sour event and, and you might miss an opportunity or two. You're not going to miss every opportunity, but you might miss one or two. You're absolutely right. And in, in our group chat, you know, how many times have someone said, Hey, has anybody dealt with this person before? And you get a show of hands saying, yes, no problems. Yes, no problems. And then sometimes we get that occasional person's like, oh yeah, they'll string you along. They're going to ask you 20 questions. They're going to ask you for 30 photos of the fig. And then they're going to say, "Never mind." And they've done it to me four times, you know? <laughs> and if you, if that sounds familiar, then you're the person. But uh, no, but generally speaking, I think when it comes to trusting, uh, doing your research, it also comes down to trusting your gut. If you're in the middle of a sale, don't get so high caught up in the hype of making money or getting the thing that you've been desperately looking for that you ignore your gut feeling. If something doesn't feel right, there could be a reason for it. If you have principles or rules regarding like, I just have a budget for this fig. I can't go any higher than this. Stick to that. You know, there are a lot of folks out there that love to haggle. And some of those, some of those that haggle don't even care about the item they're getting from you. They just want the feeling knowing they've gotten something that you don't want to give up. And I've dealt with this in bazaars overseas, you know, in small towns where they, they go after tourists or they go after, you know, soldiers when I was deployed and they want to know that they're getting your last dollar. That's all they care about. And so trust your gut and stick to your guns because too often by playing it calm and cool, you'll come out on top. And if you don't, as we've said numerous times before, those figs will come around again. They, it's not a one and done opportunity. I don't know if either of you ever had experience like that, but I've had quite a few where, you know, the buyer wanted to like suddenly change how the payment, what the payment method was, or suddenly had a reason why they couldn't do it. And I, I don't know, it just, it just didn't feel off. It wasn't a smooth transaction. And personally, I, d I don't think you as a buyer or a seller owe anybody anything other than the, res the respect of each other's time. And so don't feel pressured to make a deal because someone's, you know, giving you shit. Yeah, I've, I've had experiences where, and I'm sure that folks in the audience will have this experience too. You know, you're, you're sort of engaging with somebody maybe new or maybe you're new and all of a sudden you're, you're chatting on Facebook or Instagram and they want to take it to email or suddenly it's not really that person you're dealing with. It's maybe a friend of theirs. Um, and all of a sudden the, you know, the, the hotmail email address comes through and it's, it's got all sorts of letters, cursors, symbols. It looks like a, a comic book swearing or something like that. And that's where, you know, somebody's got you kind of kick in and say, this is just getting a little dicey, even if it goes through, which probably it, 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 it will. It, it's just kind of bizarre behavior when people try to obscure their identity that hard. I mean, I don't really totally understand that you know, kind of behavior where, you know, somebody kind of needs to pass you through three or four different aliases before you can transact with them. And those always end up being, you know, tough. Some of them go through, some of them definitely do not, but it always gives me kind of an uneasy feeling in my stomach. And I try to shy away from those situations. I prefer to just deal with what, what resembles a human being most of the time. <laughs> I think I'd try and pay you in a, uh, you know, iTunes gift cards. <laughs> I'm, I'm like spending Western Union money all of a sudden, you know. Okay, so going back to what you were saying, recently I did do a geek exchange, and 
for those who don't know, it's a secondhand market I, I do on Instagram. We'll, we'll cover it later in the program. I did a, what we call a geek spotlight where I highlight one seller trying to sell a number of you know, a high quantity of figs. I just focus on one individual. And we had a buyer come in that will, was willing to take the entire lot for an exorbitant amount of money. And this buyer is new to the hobby, no reputation, blank profile pick, account is private, all the red flags are there. And then, you know, the payment was going to go to the person's secretary, not through him. I mean, all, again, all these red flags. I'll, I'll just, spoilers, it went through fine. I'm just, <laughs> I, but what I'm saying is the, the, the seller did his due diligence, you know, you know, regarding, you know, worrying about chargeback scams. And he was asking for proof of who it was, make sure it wasn't a hacked PayPal, got another form of social media that that individual had set up, you know, the secretary had set up and got the, got an email. So basically he basically pulled a two factor authentication on the buyer and it all came through sales happy. You know, in fact, I referred uh, two or three other people to this individual because, you know, he's interested in buying, you know, certain kinds of figs. And I think they've also made deals, but I thought that was a very sketchy situation at first. I was, and it was too exciting not to pass up, but um, I'm proud of the buyer for having done their due diligence and actually went deeper than I probably would have gone. You know, but it's important to keep ego out of these things too. You know, you were giving an example before of just the, I, I suppose just some of the the ways and and some of the some of the different methods people use when they're haggling, right? They want to get your last penny. They barely care about the sale. If you take your ego out of it and you just try to think of, you know, what what are you trying to accomplish with the transaction, right? You're trying to get a fig. You know, you're dealing with somebody with a very different personality, perhaps than yourself. If you just kind of stick to the high level cause, I'm trying to get a fig. I want to do it in a friendly way. We're part of this small community. No matter how different I am from this other human being on the other end of the line, we both share this pretty cool interest together, which is, you know, this passion for custom Lego. And every time I remember that that's true about every single person I'm dealing with, it always allows me to get past like cultural differences or even just kind of, you know, I don't know, language barriers or even just sort of differences in their motivations versus mine. Ultimately, we're doing something cool together, and um, I can be pretty patient with people when I remember that we're just, you know, both into customs. Yeah, it's funny you say you're very patient with people because I was used to respect. I still, I still do respect. I'm say used to. Sorry, but um, the fact that I notice when people start clowning you, you cut them off. You're like, I'm done. Not worth my time. And I love it. And I actually started adopting that myself for my own transactions because the guy said. Uh, he, you know, he was interested and then he just disappeared for like six hours. If you're here to make a deal, let's make a deal. That goes back to, I, Carrie, there was a point you you made during the um, note-taking we were doing. Clear and timely communication is key. Yeah. I mean, and also like, like think about it. Like, what would you want? Like, ugh, I don't know how to say what I'm thinking. I'm so brain dead right now. Um, Like, what would you want from somebody you're buying from? Like you should be doing the same thing. Like I know a lot of people who are very communicative when they want something. And then if they're selling something, they like drop off or, you know, it's just kind of like. Yeah, they put it out there, and, people, but then they don't answer any DMs for like yeah, two days. Like totally. Or like, yeah, if you're like in the middle of like 
talking about a deal and then one person just stops like i know life happens but like weren't we just talking like what's going on could you just put like brb in the chat yeah like oh so like yeah and a lot you know some people will and some people don't it's like oh okay but anyway yes it's the the golden rule right do unto others as you would have them do to you yes like, treat people in general the way that you would want to be treated and ultimately that that usually helps cut through the ego too we're about to wrap actually wrap up general tips because a lot of things we're starting to spill over into the other things regarding buying and selling but two points we did want to bring up was when you are part of a group a selling group whether it be on a discord or facebook if possible and you're not sure about somebody you can always look to see what kind of post history they have in that group if there's someone that's been a member of that group for like six years and never posted okay well maybe there's a lurker and they only communicate through dms when they're looking to buy something right they're not they don't sell or if, wow, this guy's bickered a lot back and forth with people in the group. I don't think I want to deal with him. I know some discords have um, channels for, for sub buyer and seller reputations where people can put compliments about great deals they had. I think that's really cool. Um, where they can also post like a billboard who to avoid. Yeah, there's also scammer channels too. Yeah, there's also scammer channels. And they're helpful. They are, they are. And, that, and that's something that I think I mentioned um, I don't know if I mentioned it in my episode 17 or the episode that I just recorded and I'm editing, but the biggest mistake that people can make, buyers, sellers, and brands alike, is assuming that we don't talk to each other. That's it. It's too simple. That's the t-shirt. You know, <laughs> it's it, some way or another, what you do with somebody else is not going to happen in a vacuum. It's not limited to that inbox. People are going to either share it by a screenshot or talk to somebody or whatever, but it's going to happen. And then the last thing that um, this kind of applies, I want to bring up in general tips because it kind of applies to buying and selling. But basically we were talking about payment plans and holds. This goes back to trusting your gut and building your network. This is an expensive hobby and we can't always be buying everything we want right away at 100%. If you know the buyer or the seller and they say, hey, I get paid on Thursday, could you hold this for a few days? If I know that person, no problem. If I don't know you, Man, I might give you 24 hours if it's a hot item that I'm trying to sell. If it's something that's been sitting in my box of things to sell for like two, three weeks, you got all the time in the world. Man, no one's asked, was asking for it, but but uh, or or it's about to be a giveaway on the Geek Exchange because I can't sell it. But if it's if it's a hot item and everyone's asking me, I personally go through this game. We're spilling over. I personally go in the order of which the requests were received. So for holdovers and payments, uh, I've actually commissioned uh, somebody to make something for me. It's being built right now. And I offered, I said, let me pay you at least half up front. This way I know you're invested in this. So you know that money is coming. You're not, because we've never dealt with each other before. But I offered half up front and half on completion. And all I asked for is timely updates, which he's been very good at. I'll spoil it now. I'm having a, uh, I'm having a custom Big Fig uh, Spider Hulk being made, sculpted. So I'm really excited about it. Nice. Yeah, it's really, I'm really excited about it. What's the material? I have no freaking clue. Um, <laughs> maybe like pure gold. As far as oh you know. no, no! This is this is straight up Most custom likely. minifig. Um, let me. I can never pronounce the full name. I never pronounce these names out loud. I don't want to butcher it. But see, I told you we were going to deviate. Meadows, Meadows Forgery. Yeah, forgeries in the name. Trust the guy. No, uh, <laughs> forge as in forging, forging stuff like forging iron. No, Meadows Forgery. Quick side note plug. 
uh, I shared his some of his posts to uh, my stories before, and I shared them amongst the the handheld fig makers. This guy made those amazing hand sculptures. That armadillo. Yeah, so awesome. this guy did a hand. I'll, I'll put the I'll put this in the wrap up, even though it has nothing to do with buying and selling. But it's amazing, and he only has two hundred sixty nine followers, and it's ridiculous. I have more than him. That's embarrassing. But yeah, so those are our general tips. You know, communication, build your network, don't be a dick, trust your gut, stick to your rules. That's pretty much what it all comes down to. Carrie or James, if you have nothing else you'd like to add, I'd like to move into best practices in buying. Let's move into it. Let's do all it. All right. Number one rule, if you're not serious about buying, don't waste buyer's time. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yep. And uh, I put this in my notes. It, I quote, it drives me nuts when someone asks me if something's still available, I respond within seconds and then get left on scene. Or if I give the price, they don't check DMs for a day or two. That is the worst. Absolute worst. You are not the main character of your story, your own story. Or I'm not the main, <laughs> I'm not a, an NPC in your, your character. What the fuck the metaphor is? I don't care. God damn it. Answer your DMs. In, in Facebook Marketplace, right? If you try to buy something, I think it's like an auto reply. Hi, is this still available? I mean, I, I just, I can't stand it. I don't even want to respond to that anymore, right? It's it's just too obnoxious. Well, because you're going to get followed up with, can I can I buy for 50% of what you listed it for? Yeah, mm. correct. But, you know, I, my, my, I, I mean, just don't engage unless you have the time to engage. And I understand if something gets listed for sale and it's like, oh, shit. I've been looking for that part or that fig for a long time. I want to get in the queue, so to speak. Well, get in the queue, but then put aside a few minutes before you initial contact to talk to them or say, going back to, you know, Carrie's point about communication, say, hey, look, I'm at my kid's soccer game or, you know, I'm at a stoplight. Don't, don't drive and text people. I'm at a stoplight and, <laughs> you know, I, I need, you know, to get this. I just, I've been looking at this forever. Can you please just hold it? I'll get back to you as soon as I get off work or get done with doing whatever, whatever, you know, changing the baby diaper, whatever the hell you're doing. But just give them that heads up, talk to them, let them know what's going on if you're not going to be available. Yeah, be be predictable to some, you know, just like you said, just how how long would it take to write? Can we, can we finish this in 30 minutes? Or, you know, I'm going to be away from my keyboard for a little bit. I'll be right back. Right. Just set up some expectations for, you know, returning to the chat. That yeah. seems fair to me. Because if you're if you have the time to be looking at this for sale thing, you're not immediately in the middle of something. You know, <laughs> it's true. So you could just be like, yo, I'll get back to you in like whenever time. I mean, sometimes you get those DMs from friends saying, hey, I spotted this. This is what something you wanted. And then, okay, that that's a situation where I can see maybe you weren't apt to be scrolling around, but still, it just comes yeah. down to, you know, just being courteous. Yeah, and, and I'm sitting here listening to this and saying these things, and I'm, I'm wondering how many people listening to this are thinking, that prick never responds to me on time. You know, do as I say, not as I do, basically. <laughs> Life is hard. Life is busy. But um, but we can probably all do a little better when it comes to just communication. You know, chat and instant messaging is 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 hard because it's kind of not a simultaneous uh, simultaneous conversation. You know, you're you're kind of communicating, you know, at different paces. 
but but just try to hurry it up, speed it along, and uh, and and just respect the other person's time. They're busy too. And one thing we haven't thought about is to be aware of the time zone differences you may be dealing with. And this goes as a buyer, as a seller. We should put this in general tips. So yes, if you DM somebody saying, is this available? And they don't respond, but then realize that it might be three in the morning over there. If that's not the case, and you guys are both in the States or both in Europe or whatever, then I can see there should be some accommodation. But you know, if you don't know the time zones, like if you don't know that you know Taiwan's 12 hours ahead of East Coast time, well, get educated because these are things you need to know if you're going to survive in this hobby. So as a buyer, I think, as Kerry said, if you're looking, if you're looking to see what you can buy, that must mean you're ready to also pay for it. If you can't pay for something, don't bother looking for it because all you're going to do is generate heartbreak on yourself and you're going to uh, piss off the buyer, the seller who's trying to move merchandise if it's one again, if it's one of situations where it's like, oh, I can pay tomorrow morning or I get paid on the fifth, can you wait till then? That's different. But if you're like, man, I'm barely making rent, first of all, you shouldn't be collecting many figures. But if, yeah. if you're like, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm barely getting by and I gotta choose between food or figs, you need to stop looking for, at, for sale posts. You know, unless you're creating a wish list for one day, maybe. But that's just for your mental health. I know I've got several. I got maybe like seven or eight eBay alerts, right? And I turn those off from time to time because I don't want to get hit with like, oh, my grail fig popped up and I'm not in a position to take care of it. It's just going to bum me out. How many people in this community don't know what they have? How would you possibly stumble into customs and then have no idea what the value of these products are? So like you said, what's the point of trying to like pursue uh, like a, like a charity deal or something, right? That that's, that's just not going to happen. Pretty much everybody in this hobby generally knows what these things are worth because they paid for them at some point. <laughs> they paid 80 bucks for a Lego minifigure. That's, you know, beautiful and pad printed and custom done. So, so they're probably not going to sell it to you for 10 bucks and, you know, a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> that's worth probably far more than 10 bucks these days. So, you know, so I've, I've had some instances where there have been new collectors that come to me and they don't know the difference between UV or pad. And I'll show them like a screenshot on Tracy's site or a tier one saying, no, look, you can see how much I pay for this, this is how much it's worth. And more often than not, I just get a look of shock or like, oh my, I did not know. But I agree. Yeah, people should know what they're getting into, what they can expect. Uh, you can always go look at different retail sites that sell many figures or Talk to resellers, you know, saying, what do you think the going rate of this is? Or ask your friends. So at least you can plan ahead, you know, and I'm not, you know, we were talking about haggling earlier. I mean, I don't, I don't haggle much, but there's nothing wrong with offering a counter price as long as you're not insulting to the, to the seller. Yeah. And, you know, I think that it's, it's good to be expansive about what, or I should say restrictive about what insulting means, Right somebody might make a pretty low offer but then if you if you fail to to keep engaging you you might not realize that they can come up pretty quickly they they can come up to pretty close to what you're looking for and if you get within striking distance go ahead and finalize the deal i've had low offers i've had low ball offers before obviously i just kind of counter back with what i think is reasonable and sometimes those transactions work out just great 
And, you know, they were, they were just kind of testing what they can do. Why would they pay more than they have to? I think that's perfectly reasonable. And, you know, why would I sell it for any, any less than I think is reasonable? So just, you know, have a broad idea of what that range is and, and see if you guys can like strike gold together, you know, with, with a sale. My point is don't, don't drop off too quickly from a transaction, try to be reasonable about it and just, you know, be clear with what you're willing to sell it for. Don't drop the price too far just because they give you a, a low offer and don't get mad about it if they do. I'm kind of splitting over into selling here, but so I want to take it back for a moment. As a buyer, uh, it is a buyer beware market. So don't be afraid to ask questions like, well, can you take a picture of this or a picture of that? Picture you provided was kind of blurry or bad lighting. Or I heard this particular minifigure had problems with the paint chipping off the hands. Or I, I've heard some copies of this were printed on recycled parts. Is that the case here? You know, there or uh, I didn't have any accessories in your photo. Do you have all the accessories and the original packaging? These are all legit questions. You're investing. You're giving up your hard-earned money to to buy a f- an expensive piece of property. So as a buyer, you do have your buyer's bill of rights, so to speak, where you should be able to ask those types of questions. And get uh, well informed before you decide. That being said, don't. <laughs> there's. It's up to the seller to really do this, but don't get to the point of annoyance where you just start asking a thousand questions, or or ask them all at once, or if they're questions that the buyer can't possibly know. It's it's not on the buyer to know how many people have owned this fig before him, or 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 you know how many times have you opened it, you know that kind of crap. But if you say, hey, was this a display? Did you play with it? Did you pose it a lot? Um, did you fig barf with this thing that, that, you know, but ask the questions, make sure all the parts are there. And, and this is where you have a, there's a negotiation room as a buyer. If like, it's like, oh yeah, um, I'm missing this one part that came with it. Or there's this one part where like, I don't know, let's say it's a life brick Wanda. Yeah. The headdress is chipped on the, the corners, chipped off the top or whatever. This is where you have the power now to start negotiating saying, well, you're asking for this, but I'm receiving a damaged product. And if I were to buy it, I may have difficulty recouping my money later on because it's broken. You can sell broken figs. People sell broken stuff all the time. Usually the people that are looking for random fig barf parts. Some people will not buy a fig unless it has that damn numbered card in there. And and if you don't know what's supposed to be with a fig and you can't find a reference, ask somebody who might know. If you're like, if I don't know this, like if I was going to buy a handy Haro fig, I would go to James and say, James, is this the complete picture here am i seeing everything that's supposed to come with this figure is there any known issues with this this particular character that i didn't worry about and then he can let me know like no this is good no problems or you need to have a sword or whatever Uh, and that helps me as a buyer make a more informed decision i think the last thing we have is double checking your address making sure they have your correct address i run personally have a google keep document that has all the addresses that I mail to most often. I'm sure this is where someone's going to like yell at me to get into pirate ship or anything like that to like store all these addresses. I still haven't signed up. I don't know why. Stamps.com? Stamps.com. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need to just do it. You know how long it took me to start buying my, my padded envelopes in bulk, <laughs> my boxes in bulk rather than just buying them individually. Uh, I'm slow to the game in that regard. Make sure if you've, if you're buying from somebody that you bought from a number of times before, they may not know that if you moved 
or they may not know that you're out of town or out of country for a while. And I held on to a box for somebody. Hey, James, how's it going? Different James. You know, I held on to a box for him for like two months, I think, before I shipped it out. So it's it's OK. It's just uh, it's communicating. You know, man, it's always going to come back to communicating, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I mean, yeah, but getting the address wrong is kind of a doozy, right? That really complicates the transaction in some really key ways. So it's one of those really kind of important conditions to get right. Make sure that the right address is communicated. And if you're using like PayPal friends and family, and I, I'm sure we'll get into that later, but you, you have to send the address separately because it doesn't just automatically go through. And be aware of like, if you're using PayPal goods and services, what address you have on file. It doesn't just magically know that you changed dorm rooms you know, <laughs> at the University of Michigan or whatever. Make sure that you keep that stuff up to date so that your fig's not getting, you know, your $200 fig's not getting shipped off to, you know, I don't know, the the freshman in A13 or something. I, I've had people type their address to me in Instagram in a DM and send me the wrong address. Like they screwed up the zip code or they screwed up the apartment number or the street. And like, how am I supposed to know? And there was one instance where there was a le- there was a legit address somewhere across town on a street of a very similar name. Oh no! And th- somehow we managed to put a stop hold on the package, and he went and picked it up from that post office. But that was that was a hectic couple of days trying to make sure that didn't get delivered to the wrong house. No fun for anybody. You don't get the new package in the mail, which actually you said is one of the main reasons main reasons people do this hobby. And and that really did speak to me when you said that back in, I think it was seventeen. I can't remember. Oh no, that was like earlier. I was like, I think it was, I think it was FOMO episode. Yeah, I I love getting packages in the mail. It's the best. It's the reason I do this. I think I need to just set up a network of pen pals that send me empty boxes or something, so I feel like I'm getting <laughs> something every day. Be a lot cheaper. Join a Jelly yeah. of the Month Club or something. Uh, Carrie, did you have anything you want to add about about buying? I do. Um... I would say uh, as a buyer, when I get something, I always message a person and say, hey, I got your package. Oh, good point. Thank good you. Point. You don't even, you don't have to say thank you, but like I've had people where I'm like, yo, did you get did you get my thing? Like I sent it like a month ago. Oh yeah, yeah, I got it. And it's like it's good to know international, like, because I always worry about, you know, stuff getting lost and I'm not obviously going to like track a package I send to somebody, but it's always good to just let someone know you got it. Yeah. I mail a lot. Cause you, yeah. And I don't pay attention. Cause you'll for sure hear if they don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I mail a lot and I don't, after it's out, out the door, I don't think about it anymore. And I just can't keep track of all that. I mean, I've got like a whole pile of customs forms and post office receipts and stuff, you know, that, showing that I sent things, but it's, it is a nice courtesy and we're not asking that you like, you know, you don't have to take a picture and tag us in a, a Instagram story or anything. No, no. Yeah. Just like a little message. It's like, got it. Yeah. Received. It's all the people who've shipped me figs and I never wrote to them after. I apologize. Yeah. And I'm, I will I'm based specifically on talking to you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm calling you out. I feel like this is all a setup to catch me in a lie later on in the, in the uh, podcast. Or <laughs> That's we're going to Chris Hansen. You 
<laughs> Take oh, a boy. seat, James. I want to talk about this minifigure. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, all right, so that pretty much wraps up buying. Really, a lot of the stuff I would hope would be common sense. In terms of selling, some of it may not be. This is where um, we're gonna, we're just going to go into what would best work for the buyers from a seller perspective, and also what will save a seller a bunch of headaches moving forward. Uh, I would say the number one thing beyond communication is being honest. If a fig is missing a part, damage, not in the original case, uh, missing that numbered card, put that in the photos or in the sales posting. You know, don't don't leave anything to the imagination. Don't let anyone be surprised when they get something in the mail. Uh, that that's probably my number one is being honest. Can we normalize describing? loose fitting parts <laughs> that, that absolutely goes to condition and sometimes you can like spin the head especially i i get this with light brick i see that quite a bit you can like spin the head oh yeah their hair the is notoriously loose like, yeah and i'm you know i'm like that that's except really for quicksilver quicksilver the hair gets stuck <laughs> that's the only one until it snaps pretty much <laughs> I, no, let's normalize talking about what is that grip or clutch or something. It, it's important. And I think it has a lot to do with, you know, the condition of the fig that, that matters to people who take photos and people who display, you know, always having the helmet off, off kilter is, is no fun. If it's a situation where a fig's notorious for having a certain quirk to it and it's not your fault, like you didn't like loosen that part accidentally or whatever, that's important to note. And you know, if you need help proving that, that that's up to the buyer to do their research. Um, or as a seller, you can sit there. I mean, as a seller, it's easy for you to sit there and say, yeah, my friend says it's loose too. But as a buyer, you need to find someone that you can trust to co corroborate that. Okay, yes, that particular Iron Man figure, the uh, if you take the helmet off, the the red on the, on the mono head scratches right off or something. A lot of my figs, I don't even use a lot of the accessories. So I don't know how they would interact with them. So for instance, I had gotten a um, stilt man figure from Bob's customs. Love Bob. Great guy. However, there was a bit of a manufacturing issue with the helmet. Um, he won't deny this. And the plastic that was used for the helmet, the antenna were very fragile. And so one of them broke in transit. You know, so he sent me a replacement. So I've got a brand new stilt man helmet. No problem. No fuss. No muss. It's still in the foam in the case. I haven't taken it out because I don't want to risk breaking that one too by accident. It looks good. It still looks great. I mean, I love it. Uh, I have it on display on the stilts in my case and everything. And I figure I'll take it out when I start taking photos of it. And if I do sell it, I'll, which I probably never will, but at least I can send that case with the new helmet saying, hey, here's the situation. It's on you, man. If you break it. Happened to mine too, by the way. Oh, you're still man? Oh, no. <laughs> True. Yeah, I just I I threw some uh I threw some super glue on there. Oh, I think I saw you for sale post for that. Yeah, I think I sold <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So being honest, obviously we said is important, but also we're asking people to be realistic. Uh right now the second hand market is really flooded. You know, during times of pre-COVID times, uh it was hard to come by and things were hard to come by. You could charge, you know, 40, 50% up, you know, markup. Nowadays, we had so many collectors come in, new brands, new figures, more brands doing up the same character or figure. There's really, you throw a stone, you're going to hit three minifigures. And so 
you can't be pricing things like you did three years ago. Uh, I've seen it. People are trying to charge like 250 for a figure that I'll be surprised if they get 80 bucks for. And it's kind of comical. A lot of them are older collectors that just have it. The light bulb hasn't gone off. Um, or they're like, well, these are, these are old and no one, you know, can find these anymore. Yeah. But you know, that character's come out by like four other brands since nobody wants that old one anymore. They want the newer thing with the better accessories and the better mold and the fancier design. And so you've got to really kind of, you know, just understand how subjective these prices can be, uh, from a supply and demand standpoint. And, uh, citizen brick in particular is pretty crazy. Carrie, if you want to expand on that one. Oh, do we need to, um, it's, I mean, it's everything with citizen brick. It's like, as soon as there's like a website drop, you go on eBay and, the stuff on site is on eBay for like triple, but even just like people reselling, say a misprint fig, like, like people are just asking like ridiculous prices. And it's like, I don't even know where it comes from. I think it's just people want to make a quick buck. You know, real, most of those people would have paid like retail for it. And now they're asking like, quadruple million times more do you feel that's from an inflated sense of worth or do you feel that they're trying to prey on fomo or both um both both. <laughs> uh, both yeah for sure all of the above but even like i don't know i've been fortunate fortunate enough to go to like a bunch of cons this last year but even just going and picking something up for retail I could never imagine like coming home and then selling it for like triple, you know? Yeah. Feels gross. Yeah, it feels gross. But some people like being gross. And some people don't mind feeding that gross habit. And again, we're not going to judge here yeah. other than saying it's gross. <laughs> but- <laughs> I, I want to explain why flipping doesn't ultimately Well, wait, pay. can you hold that thought? we have a whole section on flipping (laughs) but going back to um selling things to keep in mind when setting your prices wonder is this a fig that everyone's selling or is this a character that's about to be released by another brand i'll give you an example um i've got a brother's figure hella for sale and there's another hella that's just been announced to market coming soon that i've also purchased so that's why i'm getting rid of my other one. I like this one better. Understanding that, I see that I'm not only not going to be able to get the price I would hope to get if there was not another Hella coming out because a lot of people probably purchased the new one coming. So this could either be appealing to a completionist that wants a brother's figure figure or this is someone that just rather gets something that they feel is a little bit less expensive or they, or it's a little bit more simplistic and it's more Lego-like. They might That, that design aesthetic might appeal to them. But I'm not going to find just a regular hardcore customs collector able to just say, pay the amount that I want because they've probably already bought the other version that's coming out. And for for any number of reasons, collectible markets tend to work this way. Anybody who collects Pokemon cards, Magic the Gathering, comic books, there's there's a period of time immediately after release of a new product where the value is exceedingly high. And it it stays that way for a little while. And then the the rest of the market, you know, catches up. New products are released. 
there's a new edition of, you know, from Wizards of the Coast with Magic the Gathering or something, and and all of a sudden that's the the shiny new thing. <laughs> okay. And 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 so then and then then it starts to really kind of deflate the, the value of this thing that you thought was worth um, you know, so much more. And you everybody just has to kind of appreciate that that is the natural evolution of the collectible market. There will always be some figs that are just going to hold tremendous value. There are always going to be some comic books that hold tremendous value and they will stand the test of time. But that is the rare exception for the most part, right? I, I think everybody's always going to get like 250 to $300 for, you know, the PCB uh, ultimate thunder or, and you know, that's just always going to be worth a, a bunch of money, I think. Um, but there are other figs that are just going to kind of trail off and, and, and pricing your figs according, accordingly is important. If you don't want to sell it, I mean, price it for whatever you want. But if you actually want to complete a transaction, um, be reasonable because the rest of us watching that, um, you know, we'll tend to respect that more too. Like if, if we have a sense that somebody kind of understands the market and is pricing to the market, I don't know. That person just feels a little bit more trustworthy. It just feels like this is probably going to work out and they they have a pretty good sense of the market. They're probably mature in this in this uh, hobby. And uh, I'm more likely to you know engage with that person. Yeah, no, well said. I, I guarantee folks are going to be trying to sell like like a Gen Spider Punk probably for an exorbitant amount of money when it comes out. But it's not going to be worth, you know, the value won't be nearly as high in a year or so until Spider the next Spider-Verse movie comes out and then it'll go up again. But then it will trail off again. So the custom figures really do kind of sometimes rely on the zeitgeist to see what is a value. Jeez, everybody loves some Breaking Bad figs. I think that's one of those. I think that's one of those sets of characters that will stand the test of time in terms of value because there's such a love for that show. And yeah, the PCB Thunder, you know, Ultimate Thunder, that's the Endgame Thor by PCB and GB. That thing went down in history is probably the first thing that sold out so damn fast and was notoriously hard to get a hold of, which is why it's still so valuable because no one's selling it. And so, yeah, you can probably still net 350, 400 for that thing. It'll go down in minifigure lore. Some of these are frankly bigger than the, they're, they're bigger than the community. I mean, they, they expand into the, the wider zeitgeist of our culture, basically, you know? How, how big was Citizen Brick after the President Zelensky fig was released? I mean, that thing, that that was in the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, no, yeah, he was on international news stations. That's That unfortunately woke a sleeping giant of eBay opportunists oh, yeah. that now invest in Citizen Brick, hoping to flip them just like they did this President Zelensky fig. But I, I think after a while, they're going to realize it's not worth that type of investment. So we already talked about buyer as a buyer, you should ask questions Uh, as a seller. You should allow them to ask those questions. But if it does start getting out of hand, you feel like you're wasting your time going back to trusting your gut, decide if this whole steal is even worth it or if they're just stringing you along. Uh, I had an incident where someone was asking me about a fig and then they they were asking about, you know, parts of the fig and asking for close up pictures. And they start telling me about their thoughts on the fig compared to this other brands. I'm like, look, man, I don't give a fuck about your philosophy about these figs. I just need to know if you're going to spend money on it or not. Because I've got two other people in line asking about it, and I'm giving you the courtesy of being the first one to respond. And eventually they just kind of faded away and ghosted. But I really, like I said, I don't, I don't care what you think is the better figure compared to the one I'm selling. I don't care if you saw it cheaper. 
or more expensive from somebody else months ago. I don't care if you once owned it and looking to add it to your collection. I really don't. I just need to know, is your money good? Is your money on time? And what's your address? <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, friendly banter is okay in like a, you know, in a chat where you're trying to sell oh, absolutely. something buy something. But like when they're trying to like, you know, crap on your product just to try to squeeze like a lower price out of it, it never works on me. I, I, I know what I have. Like most of us do. It just is not going to work. It, it doesn't convince me to lower it. It almost makes me think, but actually I'm going to charge 10% more now just to completely <laughs> kill this thing. Yeah, I'm gonna charge you an asshole tax. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> there should be an asshole tax. But yeah, I don't want to hear your pontifications about how that brand's fallen off and how their quality or how you really wish it had side printing. Either you wish you had it in your hand or you don't. <laughs> why, why are you trying to buy it if you hate exactly. it? Exactly. So it just comes across, <laughs> it comes across as like sour grapes, you know? It's like, oh, I didn't want that fig anyway. Well then don't bother me. And this might be a shock because I'm usually very friendly in my DMs, but sometimes this is what's going on in my head. You know, interestingly, like I'm 37 and there are times where I'm negotiating with somebody who might be 18 years old. And I do forget that sometimes. And I have kind of a whole life of experience of, you know, just going to work, being in the, biz in the business world, kind of engaging with people that way. And, and I think I get a little too quick with people who, who are younger and, and just trying to kind of, I guess, talk or chat in the way that they prefer to chat. And I, I need to, I need to be a little bit less grumpy. I think myself, that being said, some people are just assholes and that's just how it is just because they have a lot of money to buy figs. It doesn't make them any less an asshole. Yeah, too. It's a learning experience um, for everybody involved. It is a chance for us to, as older, older individuals to educate those who may not have you know, those nuances mastered yet. But if you're going to come at me with incomplete sentences and busted grammar, and I can't make out what you're saying. I don't have time <laughs> to break out the Dead Sea Scrolls to figure out what the fuck you're trying to say. <laughs> you know, so if you want to resist a stone your ass over to, the, to Google and translate that stuff, great. But you know, if, if English oh, isn't okay. your first language, that's totally different. I'll work with you. Yeah. I will, I will reduce the amount of words I use in my senses. I will be very abrupt and short and monosyllabic in the words I choose to make sure it's as, I mean, this is going to sound insulting. I will speak at like a third grade level to make sure that mm -hmm. things are quite clear terms are set. And I've gotten compliments about doing that for those who do struggle with their English sometimes. You know, I don't want to, I don't, I know I'm sitting here, you know, ranting and cursing or whatever, but it's, Subjective, you know, it's a case by case scenario, but generally speaking, it's the people that they just, it's like they were in a chat and they just want to show to me how much they know about customs. And I don't care to know. I, I'm trying to sell mm -hmm. something. And the reason why I get upset is because again, as a seller, I personally, I, I work the, the situation where first come first serve. I don't play a game where I'm navigating multiple chats for the same figure for sale. I don't think that's right. I'm not personally a fan of it. Again, folks, you do you. I don't prescribe to that um, scenario. If you're talking to me about things that don't matter, you are either preventing me from making a sale from somebody who is going to buy it, 
or you're frustrating people that are waiting for me to get back to them. You know, when I said, Hey, somebody else is looking, I'll let you know if they commit or not. And that's where I get irritated. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be unfair to the people that are waiting in line. And I want to be respectful of their time. And I don't want to waste all my time with somebody who's ultimately not interested. Yeah, there's a time and place. And if somebody wants to chat figs, I'm always down. Just Absolutely. send me a DM. Um, but like during a transaction, right? Like that's why we posted it. That's why we took pictures. That's why we set a price. And, you know, you know, ultimately you you're you're trying to sell something. You know, there's a little bit of money involved. Let's just talk about the transaction. A little side convo about how cool the fig is, this and that, but Ultimately, let's just kind of keep the momentum going toward either a, a sale or or not a sale, which is just as good. It's still creating a conclusion, you know, to the to the to the sale or transaction. Then you can move on to that next person in line. And I, I think it's pretty great that you do go in that order. I agree with you that the you know just spiking out a price to sixteen people and just seeing who gets back to you just leads to a lot of broken hearts that are unnecessary. So I, I think the way that you're describing it is the right way to do it. I think it's good. I think it's fine if we kind of assign values to to some of these different ways of doing things. Ultimately, the point of this is to help people do a better job buying and selling and kind of, you know, just in, increasing their their I don't know, their their social score <laughs> in the in the community. And 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 this is how you do it by listening to to us. Yeah, yeah, the next few points are really are centered around the uh, don't be a prick philosophy. DM games, I guess is what we were calling it earlier. I, again, I think the easiest way to avoid those broken hearts, as you said, yes, in the order of which it was received, is ultimately up to the buyer to make or the seller to make that decision. But the one thing I and I care, I'd like you to talk to this is when you have a deal about made, don't go looking for higher offers elsewhere. Okay, you've had experience with that before, right? I have. Um, I hate to admit, but I've actually been the person I've been that person where I'm like, I'll give you this much more for get it. off the damn podcast. Uh, <laughs> like I did it You're once. And I was me. just like, Oh, I, f- I was like, Oh man, I feel like a dick, but the seller didn't go for it. And, uh, I was like, you know, I'm glad you didn't because that was a dick move, but yes, sorry. Cut that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'll keep it. <laughs> I want to be honest. I it's not something I. I've only done it once. Well, yeah, I think. Well, well, let me. I don't want to villainize. But, I don't want to demonize anybody who's done it. I understand it comes from a place of FOMO, FOMO. and we've already talked about how FOMO is a uh, is a demon that can really make you make stupid decisions on how you spend your money, and ultimately, it's up to the seller to accept that offer, right? So. Everybody and their mom can hustle in saying, you know, I'll give you two times that, three times that, you know, whatever. I'll throw in this and this if you sell that to me. It really doesn't matter if you do it or not. It really comes down to the seller accepting those terms. And and my advice to the sellers is not do that because, again, word will get around who got what and how they got it. And you don't want to be the person they talk about. You know, everybody knows a prick in their life or an asshole. And if I t- if I ask the audience right now, think of somebody in your social circle that really just annoys everybody. You automatically are going to have someone that comes to mind. Don't be that person. Yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> but uh, well, I'm, 
But I've I've also been on the receiving end where it's well, that's like, why I started talking to you because I thought you were on the receiving yeah, end. Yeah, like, well, yeah, like, but I just wanted to let you know I can be a. Dick I appreciate too. it. Um, Still love you. You're, you're welcome. Oh, um, but yeah, no, I've had that before too, where I've like reached a deal, and then it's like, actually, this person just offered me more, so like, see you later. Yeah, you don't forget that, and you don't like not tell people about that so worse than somebody coming in offering other offers you know a higher offer is lying that somebody has just dm'd you with a higher offer oh and i've had to deal with that before yeah buying a fig which i know damn well nobody had interest in it was a very obscure niche character that was important to me and I've dealt with this individual before. Oh, and he pulls it with every single time. And I stood firm and I got what I wanted. But yeah, every single time I I bought like three figs from this person. And I don't think they remember each time that they've talked to me. So they do the same trick every time. They're like, oh, well, I got like two other offers. Like, okay. I was like, well, this is, this is my price. Okay. And then it comes, oh, let me go back to you. Okay. This other guy offered this. What was the other offer? Can you match it? I'm like, no, I can't. This is what I got. And, mm-hmm. um, I can go up like five bucks. That's all I can do right now. And I generally get, I generally win, but it was just funny because this individual has done this to like five or six other people. And it's almost a joke where we expect it, you know, and people just don't want to buy from him anymore. He always has his stuff higher price than normal anyway, but it was such a niche fig. It was a, it was a, a grail fig for me, which is why I was going through it. And wh- why do people want to be in this? <clears throat> you know, in this game for 10 minutes instead of 10 years, you know? So, so he made some money, some extra money on that transaction. How many other opportunities are lost because of that method of negotiating, right? There's just something, yeah, it's, it's yucky, right? It just, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like kind of um, transparent negotiation. No, it's a transactional relationship and it's all about what can I get from this? And I feel that I'm not going to say a lack of empathy because that indicates they're just a bad person. I just think there's a lack of awareness beyond the transaction. Uh, I don't really don't know how to phrase it properly, but they're not thinking bigger picture. They're just thinking of that one. Like some of these folks just like the art of the game, the art of the deal. They just want to, they just like the idea of haggling and, and making things happen. And I think there's a human element to it that gets lost, like it's forgotten. And personally, I would feel happier selling a fig at a lower price to somebody that I knew that really appreciated it than I would making money off of somebody because I felt that I, you know, just suckered somebody that didn't know any better. Does that make sense? That's just how I operate. Yeah. I'm not a saint by any yeah. means. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not above anybody else. I am definitely not a perfect person. But, you know, I just feel that. For some folks, they just like the deal. Like I've got friends that I've known for years. And as soon as I start talking to them about a deal, it's like we've never met before. And they're like, their eyes glaze over. And it's about, what can I get from you? <laughs> the, the yeah. Board. It's like, what can I get? Your, my stuff's great. Your stuff's shit. What can we do here? Well, how are we going to make this happen? I'm here like, hey, man, you know, I'll give you some buddy prices because <laughs> I've known you for a while. <laughs> No, I, I think uh, you're, you're just not two different people. You know, there's not on stage bread and off stage bread. Yeah, it's, it's just you. What are your thoughts on the um, when people post the fig and they say DM DM me for offers? 
What do you guys think about that? I, here's what I think about that. I think that whichever party initiated the transaction should indicate the price. So if someone's seeking a fig, they should communicate their price range, right? I'm looking for this. I'm willing to pay this. I know that's a little less usual, but I think it's better. If someone is selling a fig, I think they should clearly list the price, right? So that that's how I think. I wish all the transactions kind of worked that way because, you know, kind of publicizing the price is kind of where negotiations start. And so it's an important part of a trade or a, a sale. Um, and so I, I just think there should be obligation on whoever is kind of initiating the I don't know, this situation, you know, list the price. If you put something on eBay, you got to have a price. If you list something for sale on Craigslist, you got to have a price. I think that should be normal in this, in the community too. I don't love it just because I know that whatever, like if it's something I want to like pursue, I know that anything I say is something will come back with like, oh, well, like, I have a higher offer like not from friends, but like people I don't really know. Um, I don't think, I think some people use it to kind of just inflate the price. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? So I don't love it, but I also like, I don't like, I'm not saying it's like a shitty practice, but like you said, like giving someone an idea of like the range you're after. And then going from there is like, it's a lot better. I'm not a fan either. However, um, I will be fair in saying that some people do, I think, do that because they have no idea what, what they're selling is worth or what they can get for. Mm -hmm. They don't know the current market value. Um, that being said, there's no thing stopping a seller from shopping around saying, hey, guys, what do you think this is worth? How much should I put it up for? And then coming up with a price. I, I think anybody who puts something up for sale does have some sort of range they're already aware of that they want. If you're not, I don't. That's not really a smart move at all. Like, I'm sorry. If you if you have no clue about what it's worth, you know, if I offer you five bucks, that should be just as good as anyone who offers you five hundred bucks. But I think uh, I'm yeah, I'm not a fan of it. I generally avoid those sales posts all the time. I never engage. Because I'm also, I don't want to insult their intelligence because if I don't know as a seller, as a buyer, if I don't know what it's worth, I don't want to risk souring the transaction from the start by lowballing unintentionally. Yeah, so I think it's muddy waters I don't like to get into. I, I've done it once or twice. You know, kind of kind of just being lazy too. I had like five or six figs and I was like, I, I just didn't want to sit there and type out the price on the in a Facebook group. And I was like, here's what I got. Just... I'll I think I wrote, I'll list the prices later. Just let oh me know. If you, want you know, this is becoming the hypocrisy episode. <laughs> Everything I'm talking about. <laughs> we're all monsters. Uh, we're human. It's I coming mean, out. It's but, rare. Uh, no, um, well, you know, we, there are Facebook groups out there that make it a requirement that every post must list a price, which I, I, mm -hmm. I'm really a fan of. And I think that's why they're the more popular ones. I had a request as recently as this week asking if I could start requiring, um, the Geek Exchange start requiring prices on listings of the Geek Exchange. I said no. And the reason being is because that is such a frantic event for me where I'm literally on my phone 12 hours, just tackling DMs, downloading photos, swiping, creating stories, typing names, trying to remember the name that would just send me that photo, 
trying to remember the right color background for buy, sell, or trade. There's so much going on, plus all the side DMs, plus trying to zero out my inbox because then people start liking what I said, the story I tagged them in, or resharing the story, which thinks me makes me think I have a new DM to answer, but it's just another unread notification. It's really chaotic, and it would severely slow down the rate in which things are posted if I had to go back and train everybody. Okay, you finally did a collage. Now can you go back and add the prices, please? You know, some folks, believe it or not, mm, are not yeah. that tech savvy, even though they're on Instagram. And I have to work them. I have to work with them to find an, a collage app for their mobile device or how to make a collage so that, you know, I'm not downloading six photos and trying to like place six photos in an IG store. I can just place one. That cuts a lot of time for me. And I'm really grateful for everyone that does that. When they come to me, and if I say, no, now you got to add a price. It's just more back and forth. It just becomes a bottleneck and slows everything down. I can understand the annoyance of having to check with people, find out the price, and then find out it's out of your price range or whatever. But it also could be a wake-up call for folks that are asking bad prices when you know they get seven bites and they all people, everyone walks away because they're not interested from your from your pricing. Or it could spur a, a conversation between two strangers that may follow each other that never talked before. So there, there's some good to it, but from a logistical standpoint, it's just not practical for me to ask for uh, prices on the Geek Exchange. I think if if people generally start to move more in the directions that we're suggesting, that, that's a good thing. There's there's no perfect solution to all of this. There's there are just so many personalities in this game, and and just so many different ways of doing things. In the Geek Exchange, you have a lot of trades. You have a lot of people selling packages and. It's hard to price out, you know, at that speed, as you're saying. So that's totally reasonable. But, you know, this is this is an opportunity to just kind of express some reasonable norms, you know, for people who enjoy doing this and maybe have a collection that they want to whittle down. And uh, I think people will benefit from some of this, some of this debate. So you had, you had an interesting note here uh, on the script we were trying to put together for this episode. You were talking about when closing out a sale. Do you want to touch on that real quick? About the fig being no longer available? Yeah. So um, the theme here is clearly that, you know, communication is key. And I think when, if you list something for sale, whether that's on a Facebook group or on your own Instagram story or, you know, in, in the geek exchange, like if, if, if you make the sale, please go back and, and close out all those listings that you have open, right? close it out. And then anybody who you're kind of negotiating with or, or communicating with, let them know that the fig has been sold, right? It, they'll, they'll appreciate it, right? They'll be heartbroken for a minute, especially if it's something they were really looking for, but they'll re- they'll appreciate that in, instead of just getting ghosted and not really knowing what, what happened. It was, it something I said. And then I think the people who are like hosting that forum where you were selling the fig, they'll appreciate it too. So they don't start getting DMs from, you know, customers saying, hey, I can't get in touch with this guy who's selling this fig. He's not writing back to me. Like, don't create all that confusion. Just kind of, you know, clean up your mess, right? When you get home from work, put your shoes away, put your coat away. And and when you finish selling a fig, just clean up the mess that you've left um, with all the listings that you've made. Okay, so here, boom. Now we got a trifecta. I am guilty of that. Uh, only, but it becomes down to, it was my IG stories. I had two figs in my IG stories that two days ago I deleted because I forgot that I had sold them. 
because IG st- my story highlights, excuse me, because I don't really use my highlights all that often. And uh, I realized I had my, my sale things in there. And then and I was like, oh, crap, I sold that last week. Got to get rid of it. So, OK, so now there, there's my fault. I feel better now. <laughs> we're 3-0 and, and, you know, being shitty people. <laughs> oh. I don't know. That was a pretty um, soft one there, Brett. I'll take what I can get, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so just a few folks that, you know, are a little behind the scenes here on, on how podcasts are created, or at least how this podcast is created. Quite often, a few days prior, sometimes up to a week or so prior, I start taking notes about what I want to talk about, trying to create craft that narrative, and then I bounce it off to the co-hosts who provides their notes. And in this case, I also sent it to James as the guest because I want to, you know, hear his insights coming on as sort of a sales, I won't call him a subject matter expert, but someone who I felt always had a good you know, bit of knowledge on how to express himself in, in this arena. And one of the notes you put in here, James, stood out to me. And this is this is goes to selling. And I really think this is important. So I'm going to let you talk to it uh, about helping people out. So can you, you know which one I'm talking about, right? I do. Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, I made this note be I made this note because I've I've experienced this and so that you know I've 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 sold quite a few times and and I like it. I enjoy it. Um it's a way that I can kind of keep affording, you know, newer newer products and kind of seeing the the cool new stuff this market has to offer, this this hobby has to offer. And there there have been times where I've engaged with people who really do seem to be struggling to pay for a product that they want. It's like they'll almost pay any price for it, but then when it comes to actually making the payment, they're they're delayed and they eventually come through, but it just seems like it's a struggle for them. And as with any you know hobby, uh, especially when it comes to collecting, there can be people who engage in this who who get addicted to this. And I think it's important, you know, if you care about the people in this community to keep an eye on you know addictive behaviors. And if somebody is really struggling to pay you or they're they're persistently asking to set up payment plans, not once or twice, but like constantly, and, and you just kind of get this feeling that they're struggling to make this payment, or maybe they're even talking about how difficult it is for them to make the payment, like they're just completely transparent about it, just be attentive to that and and maybe you know, steer clear of payment plans for that person. Don't, don't do that and encourage them to slow down, but do it in an empathetic way, right? Don't assume anything, but just be, be cognizant of that and, and, and maybe kind of slow down the, the trades and transactions with them if you can do so. Yeah. You could probably make a, make a, make a buck on, on that situation, but it's, it's really potentially hurting that person. And it's it's easy to argue. Well, they're doing it to themselves, and you're just you know providing a product. It's sure it's easy to do that. It's easy to kind of rationalize it that way. But ultimately, you know, just be attentive to it, and and maybe make a suggestion that they kind of slow down, or this fig isn't that great. You know, they're coming out with a new version of this. You know, maybe don't invest that kind of money in it. I want to give credit to a transaction that I was kind of working on this evening with with uh, somebody selling something on the Facebook page. They put something for sale. I wanted it, pretty high price. He wrote back, hey, it's still available. Some people mentioned that this is going to be restocked soon. Do you, do you want to just wait for that? I mean, what an amazing message to come from this person who who could have just had the, had the funds. That's the kind of thing that is going to immediately ingratiate that person with me 
and I hope to work with them many times in the future. So keep an eye out for your neighbor, I suppose, because this hobby does lend itself to to some of those same problems that people face in other areas of life, such as with gambling or or, or other kinds of addictive behavior that might come about. Yeah, well said. And I'm really glad you brought that one up. And this, <laughs> this is why I pass around the notes to make sure we cover everything. So if you get anything out of this, besides, you know, communicate and don't be a prick, look at look out for your neighbors. You know, three tenants of this uh, of this episode. That being said, we're gonna go from nice nice to talking shit. We're gonna talk <laughs> about we're gonna talk about Let's We're go. going to talk about the art of flipping and buying of multiples of product. Uh, personally, I'm not a fan of this. I know it's popular in some circles, as they call it, trade bait. And I don't think that's a bad thing in that sense. Um, you know, if you're trying to buy items, I don't how should I put this? I don't think it's bad to buy trade bait because it's something that if you 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 want for yourself, but you think, oh, if I had to give it up, if I needed something, some collateral to sweeten a deal. Maybe I can give this part up. That's cool and all, but buying things you have zero interest in just so you can flip it later. And I understand that's just capitalism. That's just, you know, how money making money works and the laws of supply and demand, but it doesn't mean I have to like it. And, you know, I've had conversations with other collectors where they're like, yeah, I bought three of those. I'm like, but why, why'd you buy three of those? Oh, because it wasn't because they wanted to display it different ways because it has all these accessories or looks. Uh, it wasn't because they had a friend or a family member that wanted one. They, they, they was told, oh, because if this way people miss the sale, I can sell it to them later. Well, motherfucker, they may miss the sale because you just bought out the stock. <laughs> so, so I, I <laughs> yeah, it, it's, you know, I've bought multiples of things, but guess what? They're all sitting on my shelf. And because I either want to support the brand or again, they were different looks. I think we were talking up, we were talking before we started recording about, I own two uh, PCB gladiator Thors. Cause I want one that the armor and I want one with the end of the movie look with the eye taken out and stuff. You know, sometimes, sometimes I get overzealous and I'll buy multiples to support a brand. Cause I just love the character or the fig and I'm desperate to like raise some funds for some other figs and I will get rid of my extras, but it was never bought with that intention. Again, you do you. I'm just saying it's a good way to like annoy people and burn earn a negative reputation or a social score, as you said earlier, by, yeah. by, by doing that practice. Uh, Brick Fair, Virginia, I think was the first time it really came into the limelight, like hardcore, where there were folks that were standing in line, grabbing all the CB they can and putting it on eBay that night. And, uh, you know, we had customers sitting there saying, Hey, Joe, do you know this is going on? I mean, he went straight up to Joe. Now, of course, Joe can't do anything about it. He's just selling figs. It's not his It's not his problem to deal with. But, you know, whatever sob story these people give him, he's just like, I put it on the shelf, people pick it up, and they buy it. So that's not, by any means, he said not to blame it all for this. Um, but at the same time, it was so great when those prisoner figs were gone, and suddenly they were up for like 100 bucks each on eBay. and. Joe was kind enough to say, no, no, I got plenty back at the shop. They're just not here. And so everyone started going online in their stories saying, don't spend this money. Don't buy this listing. This is going to be back on the, on the website. Da, da, da. That was great. I loved it. It's watching the whole community come together. I just, and I get, you know, some people's income, like 
they use the hobby to pay for the hobby, right? I get that. Uh, I don't know the answer to that on how not to do that. I, I really don't. I don't know how to intelligently comment on that, to be honest with you. I just know that buying to flip, I think, is personally gross. And you earn a reputation, and it's never a positive one. I don't know if anybody else wants to chime in on that one. Well, speaking of brick fair, like, um, you know, there was that one person who did buy a lot of stuff and they still have it because all they did was go and post it for like double, like, sorry, not even triple and quadruple. Like, yeah, like a $25 fig for like 200 bucks all over eBay all over Instagram, they made like multiple accounts and because the community was like sticking together, that guy still has all that shit. When was Brick Fair? August? It's now December yeah. or November, excuse me. Like it, it's not working. Nope. Get another job. <laughs> I think you're spot on. I think that's probably the answer. You know, the secondhand market is huge but but the prices aren't as nuts as they used to be and i think there's a case to be made that it's just not effective to try to flip and i'm going to try to make that case so let's do the math for a moment let's say that you let's use an lcm bagels fig right i've i've sold one or two of those higher than retail and let's say that the fig costs i don't know 100 bucks and you see it going for sale for 200 in, in different places. Let's use eBay as an example. So you buy the fig for 100 bucks. You're probably going to pay like $20 for shipping, something like that, right? And if you're buying multiple, well, that, that kind of reduces the per unit shipping rate, but it doesn't eliminate it. And then you're probably paying some kind of a credit card transaction fee or some kind of a you know currency transaction fee, right? So there's a little bit of an extra tax on that too. It takes months for you to get that one finally arrives in the mail and now it's time to flip it right so if you put it on ebay ebay is going to charge you a 14 percent total transaction fee and that is going to be not only on the auction value or the listing value but also on the um on the shipping that's paid as well as the uh sales tax that the buyer has to pay so so Right now you're probably in like 125 on that on that fig. And now you've just added an additional, you know, 14% cut to eBay for that transaction. And the buyer, you know, negotiated down from 200 because they have to pay sales tax on eBay. And, you know, which is not true in many other better forums. So you've you've made a little bit of money on this fig. And and now you you go off to ship it, you put it in a box, you send it off, and you hope that it doesn't get lost in the mail because if it gets lost in the mail, you've essentially lost the profit margin on that fig. Plus like the next three that you try to flip because that's how expensive it is to lose an item in the mail. And then on top of all that, eBay is going to notify the IRS of this transaction. So you're also going to have to pay income tax on the sale of that product. And there are ways that you only have to pay the income tax on the actual income portion of it, meaning you don't pay income tax on the full sale value, but rather just on the part of it that was, I guess, profit. But that's complicated and you might need an accountant for that. 
I just think at the end of this whole thing, you've tried to flip this fig, you've made almost nothing, and you put yourself at a degree of risk by potentially losing that package in the mail, if you're, especially if you're sending it overseas or something. It just doesn't feel like it's worth it. And that takes a lot of time. I mean, everything I just described is a really time-consuming process. Just packing up a fig, you know, shipping out the label, packaging it the way that you know Brett recommends with the box, with cushioning, everything like that. It takes a lot of time. And I kind of feel like your time is worth money too. So I, I just don't think the economics of this work, even if you're literally seeing a fig selling for like double the amount that it's being offered for sale at the original retailer. Yeah, that just sounds sounds like so much work. I just <laughs> do you would you say that so I don't know the inner workings of um whatnot, but would you say that it's comparable to eBay in terms of the cuts that are taken and all the efforts that go through? Because the FOMO of a live auction hits hard. And I've seen some crazy shit on whatnot. I've seen some really you know, I've seen $30 figs going for like $150 on whatnot because people just get rabid about wanting it and not understanding that it's not that special. I've never used whatnot, but I, I guess I would just, so I, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> it's basically eBay that. live. Okay. It's um, yeah, no, I just, it's just too much work and I'm too lazy. And more importantly, like you said, time is money and I don't have a lot of time for that. I mean, you, You've taken you've taken the opportunity away from somebody who wanted that fig, so that you could waste your time to make twenty bucks. That it just it just doesn't add. Yeah, well, up I don't know the threshold of anyway. you know. You mentioned Bagels figs, which can go to like exorbitant amounts of money. I mean, was it like I think Marcus sold his for like two or three hundred, and someone told him he should have sold it for seven hundred. So I think there's probably some sort of threshold that hits where it is worth the time. Because you can get that much money. But the gamble, such as what Carrie mentioned about Brick Fair, trying to sell $25 in parts for like $100, four times markup, the, the product itself visually doesn't even look like it demands that much you know, value. So it's you'll be hard-pressed to make that money back. Yeah, and anybody who wants to do this at some kind of scale, like if they just want to try to make money flipping... It is going to be a gamble. There are going to be situations where a product sells out, but just because something sells out, it doesn't mean that it's going to be worth more than retail on the secondhand market. There's just a lot of time that passes between when a fig is released and when it ships. And in that, in that interim, there's a lot of other cool stuff that comes out. There's a lot of other ways that people invest their money. So it ends up being a gamble. And every time you, you, you hit a jackpot, right, there's going to be 10 other situations where you, you can't even move the thing. So it just doesn't make economic sense. Do you think it goes back opinion. to addiction and gambling and, and liking the, the risk and wanting to take the risk? It's like people that go around and bid on, you know, storage units, hoping to get something magical inside. <laughs> oh my God. I love that show. <laughs> but it's similar, <laughs> is it not? You know, you're taking a risk, you're spending money and there's no guarantee that there's anything inside or anything's going to, you know, the deal's going to be good or... I would imagine it is like that. I I don't really, uh, you know, I don't really know the personality of people who um, who would enjoy doing that and, and spending all that time. But it must be because economically, it doesn't actually make sense, and it, it does create a situation where people miss out on figs, so that you can kind of feed that feed that emotion or, or something. So again, I just it's ethically dubious at best. It doesn't work. 
And I think people should stop doing well, it. Understanding how the, that dopamine hit, I bet you it cannot work nine times, but if it works that one time, that that tenth time, it makes you forget about all the times it didn't work. And that's just human nature. I, I mean, obviously it's working for some people because there are folks that are on whatnot selling all the time. So I'm not going to say there's not an audience for it. You know, you we can sit there and you know bash it all we want. There's an audience for it because people are feeding into it. But I think as people get older and wiser in the hobby, I think they'll be less susceptible to it because nobody, nobody has been collecting a minute. is going to pay a hundred bucks for uh, a donut head figure from brick fair. Nobody. If you're new and you don't know, and you hear all these magic words like custom and pad printed and limited edition, limited to how many you can sell <laughs> injection molded and you know, all this, you know, all this stuff you hear all these words and you don't know any better. Well then, you know, and honestly, some sellers just have money to burn where they don't have to think twice about spending cash. So, you know, people are looking for those whales. All right. Well, that's enough. That's enough about that. But going back into your math, which, damn it, I think I made a, an earlier claim. I would never let math be on my podcast. But you went and did it. So we're going to go into it some more. So we've gone over the general tips, buying, selling, flipping, buying multiples. All things that involve money and math, as James is helped us with, we're going to talk about PayPal because there's been a growing trend of people asking for friends and family versus goods and services. People that want to buy want to do goods and services for that buyer protection, while it's people who want to do, who want to sell, want to do friends and family to avoid the fees. And again, James, I'd love for you to talk about this for a little bit because I think you summarized it best in an earlier DM conversation we had. And you're the guest, so you can do the most talking. Thank you. That sounds great. Well, you know, this subject came up because of you. This this episode came up because of our conversation about this particular subject. So that's why I want to make sure that you, it's given justice, and I think you can articulate it far better than I can. So just, just to be clear, what we're talking about is the kind of IRS rules around income, or are we talking about just the, the norms with PayPal? I would say everything. Okay. Okay, so I'll do the norms in that, Basically, there are two options for most. Some countries do not allow for friends and family, such as like Singapore. However, when you do friends and family, it's basically, for those who don't know, it's like basically you're giving money to a buddy, right? There's no real PayPal fees. You give, you want to give him 10 bucks, you give him 10 bucks, he gets 10 bucks. If it's goods and services, that's when it's treated like you're buying something. And then so PayPal starts putting into these additional fees. For those who are curious about what those fees are, you can always go to sites like PayPal Calculator or Fee Calculator. Just Google PayPal Calculator. There's like a thousand and one sites and you put in the amount and then it'll say, if you want this much money, ask for this. If you want, you need to pay someone this money, you know, do this. And it helps you, you know, if you've ever done a deal with me, I always give people two prices based on which method they want to use. I've also prefer friends and family because of the fees uh, involved in the, the IRS situation, which we'll talk about in a moment. The reason why buyers like goods and services is because buyers then get what we call buyer protection. If they feel like they've been scammed or you have them delivered on shipped at a decent amount of time, they can file PayPal claims and get their money back. Or, you know, you know, as a, as a seller, goods and services can suck because there are, there are bad buyers out there. I will try to put out claims saying, well, I never received it. 
So I'm going to put a claim. Whether no, Daniel, well, they did get in their in their inbox. Those are very easy to fight. All you need to do is, which we'll go into how in the shipping section. But you know, goods and services basically provides both parties a logistical means, a legal means to renege on that transaction and get money's returned to you know those who gave it. Friends and family, just like hooking up a buddy. Yeah. So with goods and services, I would always recommend like the first time that you're transacting with somebody or um, you're, you're shipping internationally. Like I would, I would always recommend goods and services in, in certain situations because of that protection it, it does offer through PayPal. The reason I, I like friends and family and the reason why sometimes in my sale listings I've indicated I only prefer friends and family is because it, it is just sort of like, uh, you know, handing cash to to a, a friend or colleague or family member. It's as part of the transaction, it doesn't even communicate the address of the other person because PayPal is basically assuming you already know it because they're friends and family. What I think is important to know now is that what 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 has happened recently is that there's this form called the 1099K in the United States in the IRS code. It's 1099K. And what this means is that basically these third-party payment platforms like PayPal or or eBay, the way that they process transactions, or um, Venmo, or any of these other payment processing services, Square, you know, Stripe, all those, they report to the IRS any transactions that have occurred in excess of six hundred dollars on their platforms, right? And so the IRS receives notice that you. Um, via your, I think your social security number have transacted over $600 on that platform. And let me be clear that it has always been the law and it has always been the case that you have to report all of your income to the IRS, right? During tax season. So that's always been the law, but normally prior to this, the threshold was much higher. It was like, it was like $20,000 or something like that. You know, the IRS wasn't really paying attention to, you know, some of these, these smaller, transactions, sort of these hobbyist transactions, but they are now. And, and so each person who's receiving over $600 on these platforms, there's going to be a 1099 K that's filed with the IRS on behalf of the third party payment transactor. And so you have to be really careful that you're reporting that to the IRS when you do your taxes. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, you don't actually have to pay income tax on the gross amount of the sale, meaning the total amount of the sale, you can file file your taxes in such a way that you're essentially accounting for the expense that you incurred purchasing that fig in the first place. So that in other words, the only true income or true profit that you've accumulated from the sale of that fig is just the difference between what you paid and then what you received. But honestly, it's complicated to do that. And, and, and if you're going to do that, you, you might even consider getting an accountant to help you with that if you're kind of doing this pretty frequently. And so most people will probably just end up saying, I had income of all these fig sales that I did, and you're going to pay income tax on that. And of course, it depends on your total income and your tax bracket, but it's, you still have to realize that the total cost of your expenses when you're using goods and services or Venmo or, or something like that, it's not just the, the transaction itself and what you get paid from the the person who's buying and whatever PayPal fees get sucked out, you're also going to be responsible for reporting that on your on your taxes at the end of the year. It's just something to keep in mind. Yeah, what he said. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm all about, you know, protecting your own butt when doing a transaction with someone you've never worked with before or trying to ease concerns of someone who's never done who's buying from you. I get that. But yeah, overall, friends and family is better only because then you don't have to pay for it again. You're not paying fees on what you've just earned money on by selling a fig. Because I know I am not going to keep a record of every fig I've bought from a website or through PayPal. And then just so I can spend the difference on what I've sold something for to prove that, well, I bought this for this retail price, but I only sold it for 20% more. So I should only pay taxes on the 20%. That's just too much work. Are you going to speed that up to like 300% when you when you do the podcast? You probably <laughs> that's should. Gonna put people to sleep. Yeah. Well, I promise that's that's all I had to say about goods and family, uh, goods and services and family and friends for PayPal. I think it's important to know why people like want friends and family versus goods and services. Uh, it's tricky because yeah, it's like you want to be protected as the buyer. But I will say like when you're doing international transactions, like friends and family, you do have to pay a fee. Um, it's not a lot, but you, know, you could add that to the overall just, cost you know. of the fig, cover it. Yeah, yeah, it's like five bucks or something. It's like a it's cheaper than shipping bucks. it to uh, Canada. I think it's less <laughs> than five bucks, but yeah, that's true. <laughs> all right, so all right, so no more money talk, no more math. We're gonna get into trading. Whew. Okay. And Carrie, this is your time to oh. shine. Oh my god! Yeah, because so the reason why Carrie's on this on this uh, episode because she has far more experience than I do in trading on the pros and cons, and uh, especially being so entrenched in the citizen brick world where a lot of trading uh, takes place. Uh, My personal take before I pass the mic is I hate trading unless it's something simple like head for a head, torso for a torso. Uh, It's too subjective for my taste. Uh, It's too murky. I just, I'll trade you cash for your parts. That's that's how I want to (laughs) trade. It's just so much easier. It's no fuss, no muss. It's the same reason why uh, I don't flip or do my taxes the way that uh, James was describing. I'm just too lazy and it's too much red tape. So trading, take it away, Carrie. Oh, man. Uh, nothing I have to say is good, but um, I don't know. I, I guess like, okay, I'll just obviously speak from my experience, but Citizen Brick, like I found is really hard to trade because people think their stuff is worth way more than yours. And one thing I put here is you'll burn bridges if you're aiming for a twofer. I don't know if you guys use that saying in the yep. States. You twofer? do? Yeah. Like a twofer? Yeah. Okay, don't say great. deckle. We'll say um, twofer. <laughs> deckle makes way more sense. Um, I've had some experiences where I've help people out in some way and then they'll come at me and be like hey i got this thing you want but in order to get it like i want like this 300 dollars fig and to me i'm like how does that work like i'm not saying that if i do you a favor you have to do me a favor but i'm obviously not going to be helping those people out anymore and it's always with trading it's, it's never with money but Anyway, if it doesn't feel fair, like like buying and selling, trust your gut. Because a lot of the times, in my experience, I've 
I've encountered a lot of like deals that just like end up fizzling or blowing up because the other person is just like, no, no, my stuff's like worth way more. So, but then on the other hand, there's like times when it's like, hey, I want that. You want this. Let's swap. Great. Everyone's happy. And that's how it should be. Um, Do you do trading, James? Or do you just do? Yeah, pretty, pretty commonly, actually, especially with Sket. (laughs) <laughs> it's the only way that it's the only way me and Skit do business. We That's the only Skit does business period is trading. So. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, a good point. That's just me. Uh, what are your thoughts on like have you run into like complications? I, I agree with everything you're saying. I think with Citizen Brick, it is difficult at times because I think people I I think people too often try to convert everything into monetary value. In, instead of just kind of realizing you have this and I want it and I have this thing that you want and and let's just actually trade, right? Trading to me shouldn't be like a conversion to currency because if you're going to do that, just go with Brett's philosophy, trade cash. But if, if you're going to trade, just kind of say, these are relatively equivalent and these are the things that one another wants. And so let's just make that happen. I try to do that when I trade with Scott, for example. I don't know who really wins. Over a long period of time, it's a total wash. So I, in that sense, I think that relationships are even more important with trading. And so don't don't sour relationships with, with trade activity. Yeah, I, I yeah. don't trade with anybody that I don't know. Because there's also that inherent trust of, well, I'm about to mail this thing out. And I have to assume that they're going to mail their stuff to me. And they're not just going to take my shit and never mail me my stuff. Yeah. That's probably the one reason why I'm not a big fan of trading. But I mean, that's all, I guess that also applies to paying for figs as well. I mean, they're going to take my money. I have to assume they're going to put it in the mail. That's why I don't tend to trade with anybody unless I can validate who they are through somebody I know. So again, going back to networking. Trades are tough too because you know Citizen Brick is cool to trade because there's just some stuff out there that I didn't know I wanted until somebody showed it to me and now I want <laughs> it. And but most of the time, I guess with other customs, the odds that you have this exact thing that somebody else wants and they have this exact thing that you want, it doesn't happen that often, right? It, it's hard to kind of find that perfect storm, and it's really tough when somebody is totally valuing something incorrectly or isn't just trying to make the trade happen and you you know you actually have that lightning in a bottle where you both have the thing the other person wants so trades are are tough to to make happen and when they do happen they're they're awesome something i found when i because when i first started like a lot of the sorry when i first started like collecting citizen brick a lot of the stuff i bought was off ebay and it was like way overpriced so then down the road, it's stuff that I I have a really hard time trading. So I'm like, oh man, I paid so much for that. And I don't want to trade it. Definitely been guilty of being like, uh, you know, like, yeah, like I paid way too much for it. So like I'm not gonna trade it for like something that you paid like 20 bucks for. But now like realizing that like just because I paid that much for something doesn't mean that it's worth that much, right? So I don't I think a lot of people don't think about that. And like in the long run, 
if you like actually stripped everything down, it's like, how much is it actually worth? You know what I mean? I feel like this, this episode is becoming like therapy for you guys. <laughs> it's like, I just realized <laughs> I used to do that. I'm just oh like, my gosh, talking I did that myself too. down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think, yeah, eBay and like whatnot to me, although I use them, they really screw up the value for a lot of the stuff that's it, there. it plays into James's comment about people assigning monetary values to parts. So yeah. I think the best trades I've ever done is when people were like, well, you know, I want this head. He's like, do you have any heads that I might be interested in? So you just want to trade equivalent part for part, which I thought was great and kept it very easy. So I have to assume that like, I have to worry about figuring out, well, or is this torso worth two legs, you know, <laughs> or can I, do I have to pay like three heads for this, you know, set of custom arms? I mean, that that's the part where I get, you know, I just want to cut through the BS and just, you know, Give me monetary value. I'll just pay it and we can save ourselves a bunch of time and energy. I, I love when a trade goes well. It's one of, it, it's so much more fun than a sale or a purchase it, it, because you're both getting something that you both really want and, and it's not just cash <laughs> or like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's the, I like trading. I traded a lot during brick fair, but we were all there in person and we can talk like actually talk. I think I didn't, I think I like that a lot more than trying to do it over DMs. Yeah. I'm sure, sure if Brickworld, you know, you know, when I get to Brickworld, it'll happen there as well. We'll buy a bunch of parts and then we'll find some table and sit down and spill our, you know, loot and see who got what. And, you know, I think that'd be far. That's a, that's enjoyable. And I was able to like make trades like through three degrees of trading separation, get parts for, for people I was shopping for. You know what I mean? That was fun, but that was with pe- that was with a known quantity with people that I knew and trust and knew not only, you know, we're trying to get their stuff, but they also were considering my interests at heart. But yeah, th- it's, I think it's the, the DM arena for trading is what turns me off to it. I don't think there's anything else to talk about with trading. That, that's it. Oh, wait, no, Carrie. Terms. Talking about terms. Terms. Yeah, don't, like, if you've made a deal, like, don't switch your shit (laughs) if you also if you are like okay i've run into this as well people are posting stuff to trade and then they don't want to trade it in the end so it's like why are you wasting my fucking time and i'm sure a few of you listening to this know of one of the recent people and he's been doing it like years i want to say for years Years. same shit he's posting the same shit and then it's like, why do you still have all this? Like you've been trading it for years. And it's like, well, no one has the old stuff I want. It's like, like, you're just fucking trolling. Like, what are you doing? Gil life. <laughs> anyway, my point is back to what the term thing is like, if you've made a deal, you made a deal. Like, don't back out of it. I mean, okay, sure you can. It's your right. But like, it doesn't look good. And people talk about it. Oh, yeah. No, they talk about it. Or it also goes back to the, with the buying and selling. You know, you make a trade, you term, you get the deals. I've seen instances where people were working multiple trades at the same time with some of the same parts. So they were seeing, they were trying to see which trade they can solidify first while negotiating those very same parts amongst different parties. And that's just messed up. Because then yeah. they go back to saying, well, so-and-so has offered me this and this for this part. And then you're just offering me this. What else you got? 
that's that's really skeevy. And that one, I will judge and say that's a prick move. It, it, it's like <clears throat> it feels like Moneyball. You know, I feel like <laughs> really these are all like GMs of the Oakland A's or something like that. They're all NFL GMs. It's just like you said, it's just not acceptable. You shouldn't leverage other people. You shouldn't use people as a means to an end. It, I just don't agree with that. Yeah. We're going to get so much hate for this episode. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait. No. From yeah. bad people. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that's all we really got for trading, but I do want to move on to something that, that transcends buying, selling, trading, and that is shipping. And shipping. shipping. Number one, Carrie, you nailed it in your notes. Ship in a timely manner, especially if you don't know the person. That goes back to your earlier comments about communication. If you can't make it to the post office until the weekend and it's it's Tuesday, say, hey, thanks, got your payment, uh, but I'm not going to be able to the post office until Saturday. That's fine. You know, I, I that's for me, that's easy, easiest to mail on weekends, but sometimes post office is a mile down the street. So I can just, you know, I hit on the way to work. If I'm running late, I can say, well, I'll just be a little more late. No, my, uh, the big thing that I want to touch on for this section is considering how you ship. Uh, I've seen situations where people post, put their stuff in the post office in the most illogical packaging ever. I mean, it's just short of being rolled up in newspaper. Yeah, and if you ever if you buy a lot on Bricklink, you know what I'm talking about because there are some really clueless sellers there too that do some really weird shit the way they um the way they mail stuff. Consider the goods that you're mailing. So like Life Brick and Abnormal, they have these unique metal tins, these you know these squarish looking tins. They can dent. You know they're not invincible. In fact, a while back. Uh, I had gotten the Life Brick Iron Spider set. There were three of them. And they were in a longer metal tin. And the metal was pretty thin. One of them got the shit dented out of it. And thankfully the fig wasn't damaged because of the, the box just suffered so much trauma on the way over from Hong Kong. If I ever have to if I ever sell that, which come on, let's be honest, I'm not Spidey. But if I were to ever sell that, I would have a hard time because that box look the, the tin looks pretty messed up. I mean, it's like someone stepped on it and then tried to fix it. You could take it to an auto shop. <laughs> take it to a dent master <laughs> or whatever. So, so, and uh, a, more, a more recent example would be Jin. Personally, his packaging to me is not ideal. Those really thin uh, lids can pop off easily and they can crack under pressure. So I would not put a Jin case in a padded envelope. I would only put that in a box. You know, same thing with the abnormal light brick tins. If it's like a clamshell, like a jewelry case clamshell, is, you know, like the, like a PCB comes in, padded envelope all day. That thing's got plenty of protection. But I also make sure my stuff isn't rattling around. So whatever's in that jewel case is going to be, or that clamshell is going to be in a, in a little baggie as well. And I've got a whole bin full of old baggies that I can just pull one out if I need it. And uh, even with abnormal, we all know how if you ever ordered an abnormal figure, you always know it sounds like it's broken when you get it because that damn tile is floating around on the inside. And I, I've talked to Lynn about this. So I was like, you got to stop doing this because it scares me every time I get it. So I even put the, the little tile uh, inside uh, a little baggie so it's not rattling around like crazy because I don't want to scare the buyer when they when they see their package. I have received something in a paper envelope international <laughs> shipping and i was like what the actual fuck 
I'd never <laughs> seen that before. And just to elaborate, do you know those envelopes where the metal thing pokes through and then you you yeah. press yeah. the tongs down? office mailers? Yeah. And it, that was it. Like, And I can't even believe they arrived and they weren't damaged, but I was just like, whew. And not only that, the shipping that took forever and it was just excuse after excuse just to circle back ship in a timely manner. If you have time to like post stuff for sale, you better ship it. Like, you know, people are, you're taking people's money and then you're like, Oh yeah, I'm so busy for like a month. Like not cool. I think, I think all shipments Um, should go out by the following weekend. Personally. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, yes. Um, so bubble mailers, I know people have had trouble with those. You can put stuff in a bubble mailer. You can like, like I recently shipped some stuff where I wrapped it in uh, bubble. What do you call it? Bubble, bubble shit? Wrap? Yeah. <laughs> bubble shit. I wrapped it in bubble shit <laughs> and then I, I put cardboard all around it and I put it in a bubble mailer. So it's like way more protected because I didn't have any boxes. Um. And like it's not gonna even if the the bubble mailer itself tears, like the stuff's not gonna fall out because it's like in a nice little bundle in there. I prefer boxes. I used to work at UPS. I'm very familiar with what happens in the back of these trucks, and your packages just get beat the hell up. And sometimes with bubble wrap, there's just so much weight piled on top of it, it's just gonna get damaged. Um, I think a clamshell and bubble wrap is fine and pretty much nothing else. That's how I feel about it. Shipping a box. And you can buy, you can find these boxes pretty cheap. You can buy them in bulk. I buy them in about packs of a hundred or 50 on, uh, on Amazon. They're about the same size as a citizen brick box. And if you have trouble and you don't want to buy those boxes, save the boxes that your figs are coming in or the boxes that are getting shipped to you. Because like citizen brick boxes, you can flip them inside out. And it's a pretty white box, totally clean. Just slap a label on there and you're good to go. Uh, I've got I've got a whole closet full of citizen brick boxes and um, stud stock shop uh, boxes and boxes that other people have sent to me are Truid. It's got some good boxes. So if you're ever like in a position where you're like, well, I don't have the supplies or the money to pay for these things. Well, then just use what you got. It's a lot better than damaged, you know, $100. Right. I'd rather get a shitty box that protects it than nothing at all. Going back to to shipping um, with the box, when I get to the post office, I'm going to walk you guys through really quick how I ship something to somebody after I make a sale. Number one, I pack it and I tell them, uh, well, of course, you verify address. But then I pack it. I make sure it's taped shut properly. And that it can't just accidentally pop open. If it's an address that's international, I tend to print it out. I, I'm, again, I didn't subscribe to stamps.com or pirate ship. I know I need to, but I will print I'll, I'll just open up word or illustrator and I'll type it out and print out if it's an international address because I don't want to risk there being a, a misunderstanding of what a, a lowercase I or an L is, uh, or, you know, a zero or an O. So when I get to the post office, and I mail it out. Once all the labels are on that box or that envelope, I take it back from the clerk. I take a photo of it. 
So now I've got a documented record that that package has all the U.S. Postal Service or FedEx or whatever uh, labels adhered to it, including the tracking number that was assigned to it. When I get out of the post office, I go to the little counter and I immediately, uh, whether if it's a PayPal, I might put it in the PayPal, you know, add a shipping number, or I just DM them. I DM them a picture of the box that I took. And I do that because sometimes folks live in apartment buildings or dormitories and they have like a central mail repository. And this enables them to say, this is what I'm looking for and have a visual reference. Or if a mail package is lost, they can go to the post office saying, this is what it looks like, you know, and they can look in the back for it. And it's helped uh, more often than not. And then the other thing is I then, after I send the photo, I then type the tracking number into a DM, a separate DM with just that information. And then I send a separate DM that says what the estimated time of delivery is on the receipt. The reason why I do these separately is so that people can just easily copy that tracking number out of the DM conversation and paste into whatever tracker they use. Same thing when I get people my PayPal address, I never give my PayPal address in uh, the middle of a DM. I always give a separate DM with just that. And it helps people out a lot where they can just copy and then paste rather than have to copy, select which part they're copying, all that other bullshit. Mm -hmm. So in summary, take a picture with all the labels on it. I DM them, them the picture. I DM them the, the tracking number in a separate DM. And then I DM the estimated time of delivery. And then I forget that it ever happened until they tell me they've received it. Or like me, they yeah. don't tell you. <laughs> if they tell you, yeah. yeah if they tell you. <laughs> but I always I always do that. And if it's international, I'll take a pictures of the customs form as well with the tracking number attached to it. And I send a picture of the customs form. So they know they filled it out. I filled it out correctly. Uh, just because I want to make sure that all areas are covered. Now, I touched on this in a previous episode. A buddy of mine was told that by the buyer that the figure did not arrive and they did, they wanted a refund and he did exactly what I asked him to do, what I told him he should do. He had taken the photo of the box. He had taken the pictures. He sent everything ahead. And this guy, eventually the buyer opened up a claim on PayPal. And I told him, I was like, dude, you're getting scammed. If they lost the package, the post office, for those who don't know the U S post office, they can geolocate approximately where the last scan was for that item. So they can tell you within like a couple of houses, if it says delivered, they can find out definitely what street it was delivered on. So if it's delivered to the wrong mailbox or the wrong block or a building, they can do that. They can look it up. He did all that and uh, he won the claim because the guy had no proof that he didn't receive it. But the reality is there's no way to tell. <laughs> there's no way to tell that he did not get it. He only has all this evidence that he did send it. It went through the system. It was tracked. It wasn't one of those situations with a, uh, shipping label created that sits dormant for like two weeks you know, and that those scams he did what he could do now he could have offered like a a partial refund but in the end that like, we don't know if that guy got the figure or not so oh well yeah i think if if you've if you've taken all those steps that you just described as the as the seller and you've gone through that level of diligence to make it work i think that if the transact, if the tracking shows that it was delivered, it's just not on you anymore. I, I think it gets a little fuzzy if the package gets lost in German customs or something like that on its way to Australia. I don't know what to do in those situations. In fact, I'd look to both of you for advice on that. I don't know who is responsible for that at that point, because you could argue 
you know, that what, what you shipped me didn't make it here. And, you know, whose obligation was it to buy insurance? I'm not totally sure. If something's lost, presumably the seller can have some claim to the, you know, to the, if there's some kind of an insurance claim on it, or if it's like priority mail and you have some kind of coverage on it, um, then the seller gets that back, not the buyer. It gets really confusing at that point. And I think the goal is just to limit those kinds of situations by, like you said, using a clear label, you know, shipping in a box when it's international for the most part, being communicative, and then, you know, just hoping that the postal service does its job. Yeah, you mentioned uh, insurance, and I, I often, nobody ever asks me how much to insure something for. Usually packaging, you know, uh, comes with some sort of insurance already, you know, by default. I've never had anyone ask me for additional insurance, but, uh, you know, I'll tell you one thing with, um, well, we'll go into international shipping in a moment. Actually, we can do that right now. Um, when talking about international shipping, when I fill out the customs form, I always, uh, I mean, I've always just put the value at $5. I know that sounds ridiculous when you're sending maybe like hundreds of dollars worth of figs, but it keeps it off the radar so that the folks don't have to pay a bunch of tariffs in some countries and taxes on these things. I always label it as gift. And on the description, on the contents, this is this is a pro tip. I always put Lego toy dash no battery. If you put no battery on the customs form, I found that you don't get hung up in customs as much because it's not something they're looking for. Because you know, when you go with Mail International, at least in the US, we have to hit like 20 different disclaimers on the screen at the post office saying there's no lithium batteries, there's no batteries, there's no explosives, there's no aerosols. So by putting that in the customs description of the contents, I think that helps out a lot. I, I do pretty much the same thing. I'm, I, I don't want somebody in another country to have to pay a, a boatload of fees you know, when they receive their fig. That's not fun. You know, you've got something new in the mail and then you've got uh, you know, an invoice for 50 bucks in duty fees because... I listed that this minifigure is worth $300. Like nobody in customs is going to understand that this custom minifigure inside that case is, is worth that kind of money. Nobody. So I, I do the exact same thing. I mean, if there is some kind of like a, a lost parcel claim later on, maybe that could have an impact because you, you claimed it's only worth five bucks. So that's essentially what they're going to pay you to like recoup your loss. You know, that could come up, but at some point, you just have to trust that these the, the postal service is going to do its job. And in in my experience, over five years, they have. There have been like two or three packages that have gotten lost out of, I don't know, probably a hundred. It, it's it's not going to happen that often. One uh, only two other tips I have for international shipping is there are resources in Google. If you're not sure how to format an address in the way that that country formats their addresses. There's plenty of resources on Google to teach you how to format address. You know, like Canada is really easy. It's very similar to America. I love shipping things to Singapore because it's just Singapore. There's no like city, town, country, county. It's, like, yeah, it's UK awesome. is like city, province, territory, you know, village. <laughs> it's just like there's like seven different tiers that they drill down to. But, you know, it's it's uh it's helped me a lot to just Google these things out. And then quite often if I'm shipping to somebody else in that same country, I need to do a better job of keeping a catalog so that I can just look it up again really quickly or say like, how did I do this last time? Cause uh, I've done that for my buddy in Poland that I ship 
he buys a lot of Brickmania stuff. And so he ships to me and then I ship to him. And uh, so I, I pretty much know how to format a Polish address really well, <laughs> which actually goes, um, James, you want to talk about stamps.com because you brought it up several times now and you might sell me on it. There, there's one thing I like about stamps.com and it is that you get really good rates with UPS. So if you're shipping overseas and you want to get it there really fast, you have to pretty much either use like, you know, FedEx or UPS. USPS priority mail is pretty quick, but it's not going to beat FedEx and, and UPS overseas. And if you have the opportunity to use DHL, use DHL. That is just like a miracle the way it gets there so quickly. Stamps.com gets you a, a pretty decent rate on UPS. Like whereas you'd normally pay, I don't know, 70 bucks for like, you know, to ship up to one pound overseas in, in like three to seven days. If you have a stamps.com account, you you can ship that in like you can ship that for like 36 bucks or something. Holy shit. I think they charge you like $10 a month to be part of it, but like one transaction every three months would, would make it worth it just because of that savings. And and then the benefit is that you can get a cool product to somebody overseas much faster and you're getting it at the same kind of rates that resellers like tier one and Tracy and Racksnip, you're getting it at those same rates that they're getting. So I, I promise I don't get a cut from stamps.com <laughs> or anything. I've just had a, I, I just have had a good experience with using UPS through that. Um, you don't get any favorable rates with, with the postal service or anything like that. But, but that benefit you get on like worldwide expedited shipping with UPS is is worth the, the cool. monthly fee. Is pirate ship the same idea as stamps? I don't know. I wish I had Nick on board. We don't have it here, so no. I, I it's. I've used I've used pirate ship only as a means of estimating cost for shipping. Like I'll put in the dimensions and the weight and it gives you a very accurate while well, I'm trying to like how much would it cost to ship to, you know, this country. So it's been really good in that regard, but I've not to actually subscribe to if and you know, where I'm putting labels out and all that stuff. I, I just need to do it. I just keep putting it off. But I also again I got the post office right down the street. They know me. And most of most of my sales in the last few months have been domestic. So I'd say maybe international accounts for maybe 30%. You can also limit yourself to not ship internationally, but I think you'll, you'll be uh, losing out on a lot of potential customer base for your sales. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I've definitely met yeah a lot of people. I've had a tough time being in Canada because people are like, uh, shipping's too expensive or I don't want to do the customs forms. But it, I did want to say thanks to you guys for keeping your values low and saying a gift because, like, I pay a lot of duty, like, a lot. Like, any Citizen Brick package, any True Red, like, basically anything. And now, like, Tracy, like, all that stuff I get duty on. It I got sucks. my first FedEx bill um, two shipments ago from Tier 1. Uh, well, she valued the 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 package at a pretty oh she valued it at accurately and was a very packed box there's like maybe eight eight figs or nine figs in there and so then i got hit with a 65 dollar bill from fedex from customs border patrol uh because the declared value was so high so i told her i was like you know we got we gotta negotiate this <laughs> like she felt yeah, bad it you, know, stings. And, you know we worked it out but it's uh it was the first time I've ever had to do that. Like, yeah, I got I got contacted by Customs Border Patrol to fill out a form 
declare my importer number and also the crazy shit because of the value of the package. I was like, good Lord, man, I'm not a high roller. I promise. <laughs> you sure? <laughs> well, that, so bringing up your, your concerns about duty taxes and stuff that brings us to our next section, which is stockpiling. So what is stockpiling? Basically often, you know, within our circle of friends, we have folks that are international. Like, uh, you know, we have our co-host Phil and of course, Carrie here who live overseas from me. And what happens is quite often I will create a pile at my house of figs that they have bought domestically here in the U S that I can then ship out all at once. And, uh, you know, Carrie, you've, you've had piles in a couple places, right? Have you not? Yeah. Uh, shout out to, uh, brick cinema and dash bricks. They, they tend to always have little pals for me yeah. and, I love you guys and I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I usually yeah, I'll get stuff and then I say, Hey, do you have some I'm like do you have something pending over with Nick or, or Dash? And then I'll just send what I have for you to them. And then eventually they then send it all to you all at once. Yes, it's amazing. I've I've helped out a friend in um <clears throat> in Singapore that way. And yeah, it's a good way to just like you said, they're your heroes now, right? I like, yeah. I like to think somebody feels that way about me too, because <laughs> I've been able to save them just tons of money on, yeah. you know. Yeah, and for the international folks listening, uh, I know I know Soonsol and Mark's Bricks both have, they have warehouses here in the States that they can ship their packages to in the U.S. and they can just compile it up and pile it up and then they ship out everything all at once there as well. So, for instance, I've got something coming to my house for Soonsol Chicken Bricks and rather than shipping that internationally for like 17 bucks, I'm just going to have to ship it over to Delaware for five bucks. I think Marcus's warehouse is over in Portland uh, and he's over in Taiwan. So over time I can just send him things occasionally. And then what he feels like, he can say, all right, send everything my way and just pay one fee. Like uh, Phil's got a superhero box and a citizen brick box going on at my house right now. And then I've got another pile going for on for someone who's in Australia. And, um, it's just shelf space for me. It's on top of my bookcase. It doesn't cost me any energy. And so basically, if you have friends overseas or you're shipping to someone overseas, ask them saying, hey, is there anybody you trust that is currently holding stuff for you? Because I can just send it to them. And then it all works out. Yeah, but that's basically it for stockpiling. It's really, it's really simple. It's about, again, communication and building your network. Don't be a prick. That could be the title of this episode. Yeah. Don't be a prick. Frick, a guide prick. to buying, selling, and trading. <laughs> or cut the BS. You're get demonetized. Oh, I wish I was monetized. Oh, man. <laughs> so, I lose money every month on this shit. So that's about all we had on stockpiling. It's a really simple thing. Uh, as I mentioned, just don't be a prick. Communicate and uh, you know, ship responsibly. <laughs> so lastly, the last thing we're going to talk about today are the secondhand forums. Uh, this, these are the, the nexus you know, of where we find all these figs that we're buying and selling. Uh, outside of you know the reseller market, uh, I think universally we can all say eBay is probably the worst place to go. The finding figs, would you agree? Yep, I agree. It's you're you're paying you're just you're paying for all the fees the seller has to incur to sell on it. It's it's part of the reason why things are listed so high there, and I I think it's there, there just seems to be people who are willing to pay some of those prices, but most of the time the stuff just sits up there at exorbitant prices, it never sells, but it creates the impression that 
this product has that value, but it's never selling. It's just going to sit there. It, it's never going anywhere. In my opinion, with eBay, it, it's creating like this bizarre inflation for the rate, you know, for the values of some of these things. And um, there's there's no actual transactions taking place. So eBay is not great. Maybe it'll improve. Maybe they'll lower the seller fees and, and maybe they'll, you know, and maybe people will just be a little bit more reasonable with the prices that they list. But but right now, that's not the case. Whatnot is basically like eBay, eBay Live. You're actively bidding in real time with a deadline. You can't, unlike eBay, you can't, you know, card snipe somebody at the last second with a higher bid by when you when you bid on something that's up for auction, more time is added to the clock for folks to continue to bid. So learn that the hard way the very first time I used whatnot. <laughs> it's like, what the hell was six I more seconds? That. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But the the problem with the problem you see sometimes on whatnot is if somebody really wants something and there's a prick in the audience, they know you're gonna keep bidding higher, they'll just keep doing false bids to drive it up. I've seen that's happened to me as a Spidey fan. They saw me in there and they just didn't want me to have it because, you know, I buy all the Spideys and they drove something up and people in the crowd in the chat were like, come on, man, just let them have it. You know? And yeah, you know, I don't know if the seller could have chimed in and done something to stop it, but it, that, that, that is something that can happen. FOMO is at its worst on, on whatnot. I, like I said, I recently saw UV figs going for $170, $180. Uh, not to discredit the sellers. All they're doing is putting it on a stage and letting people bid on it. They're not doing anything wrong. I enjoy going to those streams. They become like little family communities where you get to know the sellers and the regulars are there. It's almost like a hangout joint. Uh, a lot of people go to those things without even the intent of buying. They just hang out. Which So I think that's great from a community's perspective. But if you go in there, you should make sure that you have a set budget because once you win an auction on whatnot, your card is charged immediately. And the seller knows right away if that charge didn't go through. So there's no no being shady about it. So whatnot is a place to go and buy stuff. However, you do run the risk of paying a larger than normal fee. So just keep that in mind. And then on Discord, uh, there, are, there are some places on Discord. It's basically just a community bulletin where folks will also post things for sale. I'm not in the discords, so I can't talk to that. I've got my reasons for not being in them. But uh, from whom I've talked to, if anyone's here in, the, in a particular discord and wish to talk to that, you can go right ahead. Uh, Carrie, are you in a, are you in a CV discord? Uh, I'm in a couple. Yeah, it's just there's different channels and there's normally a trade, buy, sell tab in them and people just post their stuff, just much like Instagram. But But the benefit being that you have all other channels that vet who's a good, reliable seller or reviews of those buyers. Yeah, there's also, yeah. So you, and people to watch out so for. So you can buy with so. more confidence, at least. So yeah. that's good. And then uh, Facebook groups. There are a couple of Facebook groups out there. Some are a little more strict with their rules than others. If you don't follow those rules to the T, some have a single strike ban. The idea being is if you can't follow simple directions, then eliminate room for error on a deal and just boom done i've seen long time long time normally trusted collectors get kicked and banned uh from from facebook groups because they just didn't follow the rules one particular face some facebook groups force you to list the prices which is great also there's that recorded history like discord where you can check and see who's 
hosted what in the past and if there have been any you know, discussions or arguments or whatever, you know, figure out what's going on. Or what I've done on Facebook is if I've seen something that I want to buy from somebody and I look and see who else has DM'd him on previous posts, I might reach out to those people saying, hey, did you wind up closing a deal with this buyer? How did it go? And that gives me a little bit of insight in what to expect. Hot tip. So then we also have the secondhand markets on the reseller websites. You know, Tracy, of course, has one. Uh, others have experimented with it. LCM was experimenting with it at one time. I'm not sure if they still do it. Rex is probably the most prolific one with, you know, he's listed over like 50 different chapters or whatever. Some of the older ones are discontinued or closed out, but they no longer work. But the good thing about Rex's is, is that he always leaves the listing up after it's sold. So you can see the price that was listed there as reference. And that's a pretty nice way of going back and seeing what some things might be worth in the secondhand market. And then lastly, I mean, I don't want to go. I know I said I bring up Rex. People are probably groaning in right now. But the reality is it's there. It's probably the best secondhand market. We're not going to go into his shipping practices or his recent communication concerns. But I'm not going to act like it's all hunky-dory. But the reality is it's the best secondhand market out there. Uh, Except for the Geek Exchange. (laughs) (laughs) So the Geek Exchange, for those who don't know, is something that I created as a secondhand market that I run on Instagram. And if you listen to my episode on Brick Chat, when we did a little crossover, I talked about it there. But essentially, uh, I've got a pretty good reach on my stories. I get upwards to like 450 to 600 views per story for whatever reason. And so realizing that not everybody has that kind of reach, I offer to, you know, in good faith, help folks, you know, get the word out that they have stuff for sale. So one Sunday every month for 12 hours, 12 p.m. Eastern to 12 p.m. to 12 a.m. Midnight. So all the time zones can, you know, participate. I simply have people send me a photo or a collage of photos for what they're looking to buy or sell. And then I post it to my story. And I tag them in it. And then that allows people viewing my stories to know who's got what for sale or what they're looking to buy. And uh, James, it's it's great that you're here because you once did a geek exchange spotlight, which is when I do a geek exchange where instead of everybody sending me stuff, just one person, because they have a whole lot of stuff they're trying to sell. How'd that go for you, James? Um, I'm going to have to file with the IRS when my tech <laughs> it went really well it it was it was easy it was smooth i i hope i don't know how much work you had to put into that it's easier than the regular geek exchange because you just send me all the photos and then i just post them and then i can go about my day geek exchange is literally me 12 hours glued to my phone constantly downloading images and reposting them and doing dms nonstop. it it was awesome and i met a lot of good people through that process i i sold a lot of things i i put figs in people's hands that really wanted them more than I did at the time. And I think, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I, I paid my bills that month. too, So it was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, we had, um, it, it's been, it's a lot of fun and it's slowed down a bit, but I love it when people tell me when they've made a good sale, or they found something they've been looking for. Cause I do, I do catalog those and I post them to my stories as geek exchange success. And uh, it's funny. Cause then I start seeing other people using the same term geek exchange success. So yeah, if if you're listening and you do happen to use the Geek Exchange and you you, you know I don't care big or small, let me know. It, it lets me know that it's worth my time and it's worth your time. 
Um, it's overall for those curious, you know, as far as like scams go, whatever, uh, there's only been, we've done 19 months in a row. I have only had to have two conversations with people about their behavior on the geek exchange. And it was really just coming down to one person who, uh, oh, just, it just came down to both of them, you know, in their communication styles and how they work deals or how respondent they were in their DMS. It just wasn't working for a lot of people. And I was getting a lot of complaints. So I just talked to both of them, right? Because everyone deserves a chance to, you know, correct themselves. And it hasn't been a problem since. So it's become a, because my name's attached to it. So it's important to me that it's legit. And if people do have an issue, I'm very aggressive in investigating all sides of the matter uh, to make sure that, you know, accurate judgment can be made. Because if, if I find someone's jerking you around or ghosting or wasting people's time, I have no problem kicking him. I don't care about my follower account. I'll kick them and ban them. So they'll never see another post of mine or another story of mine ever again. But I think aside from people's individual stories and postings, I think that's everything regarding secondhand market. Would you agree or? Yeah, those are the, those are the big ones. Yeah. After that, it's individual Instagram stories, individual transactions, you know, just random stuff. But those are now there are stuff ones. on international markets on like WeChat or like Naver, I think it's called. Uh, I don't have access to those. Because, and, and if I did, obviously, I don't, I don't speak Korean. I don't speak Chinese. So it's difficult, difficult for me to participate. But if you build your network, you can have friends that do speak that, you know, those languages or, or reside in those areas to look for you. I'm looking for a particular Spidey fig that I, you know, from a long time ago, I've got a friend over in Taiwan looking for it, you know, in all the other, all the online you know, forums over there. So there's a whole world of customs that the Western audience doesn't even see in regards to marketplace and um, especially on WeChat. Uh, so, you know, leverage, leverage those connections and, and do, see what you can do to find the things out that way. But, yeah, man, we covered a lot. This is a long episode. Yeah. I mean, we're going to, you know, through editing and stuff, this thing might still be about two hours long. So, but I think it's all good. I think it's all good information. Yeah, it, it didn't feel two hours. It really didn't. It, it really so. didn't. And uh, I mean, I got a little sleepy when you were talking about PayPal math. That's just math. You know, just, <laughs> no, overall, no, this is a lot of fun. And this is going to be probably my second favorite episode only because I like these relatable ones that we try to do to help everyone out that folks can hopefully gleam a little bit of insight into how to alter their, their collecting habits to make it more fun for them. Yeah. And it, it kind of felt like we're on the same page about a lot of these things, which means, you know, there must be a reason we all feel that way. We've been doing this a while and we all three have reasonably good reputations with, with all this stuff. and. So I'm, I'm glad that in many cases we were kind of, we were kind of on the same page. Yeah. And I'm sure that we haven't covered every, I'm sure there's something we may have missed, which I, I welcome any feedback on that. And, you know, for those who may feel offended by some of the things that we pass judgment on regarding buying, flipping, auctioning, that's fine. We don't have to all be on the same page, but we can all agree that we want this to be a fun hobby. And, you know, all I ask and hope is that folks make those efforts to enjoy what they're trying to do. Because if it's just all transactional in nature and there's no joy in it, then what's the yeah. point? 
I mean, just get a dog. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just if I didn't have community, I wouldn't even be in this hobby right now. You know, I can have all the connections in the world to get what I want. It wouldn't be the same because I have no one to talk to about it. Yeah. And if no one wanted to talk to me about it, then what's the point? You know, so. All righty. Well, that being said, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, Carrie, James, did you have any other final thoughts? Don't be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> Communicate well. <laughs> shipping boxes. And shipping boxes. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and don't work yeah. for UPS. Yeah. <laughs> Friends and family. <laughs> <laughs> Math is hard. 1099K. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, that's going to do it for us. I just want to say thanks, everybody, for sticking around. I know this is a long one, but I hope you got some good information from it. Uh, I know some of this was sort of some finer points that even I forgot about that I could probably put back to better practice. And as you've already seen tonight or today during this whole recording, that even we're not infallible and we, even, you know, screw up from time to time. So that being said, uh, I'll put some links in the show notes, maybe like the boxes that I buy that, that you can purchase in bulk for shipping and the padded envelopes uh, on Amazon. Uh, I'll links to Carrie and James's Instagram so you can hit them up with any questions you have. And uh, once again, if there's if you have any reasons or wants or needs to want to support this podcast and my efforts, you can say thank you by buying me a coffee. The link will be in the show notes. Off as always, it's uh, never obligated, but always appreciated. Until then, we will see you next time. Say bye. 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 (laughs) I want you on my rack. I want to make you ring. I want you to unwrap. I want to pull your string. Bring me the next.